welcome to another edition of Turn at a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, it's another one of these amazing live episodes, and I say that not because I'm amazing, but because, oh my gosh, today on the show, we have Jeff Cannonball. We have Andy Nelson. We have Dan Yemen. We have Jay Goldberg. We have fucking Jackal from Why Die. And if that's not all, we have a very, very, very cool surprise phone call to start the whole thing off. More of that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, please head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can also find me on various forms of social media, at Damien. If you use Facebook, you can go over to Facebook.com. There's a Facebook page. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham. Hey, Tris. Uh, you can send him a message. He'll get the message to me. If you don't look uh, at Facebook, like myself, and you still want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into this show, we also post that stuff over on turnoutapunk.tumblr.com. There's a Tumblr page, and uh, you can uh, check that stuff out there. If you want to support this show and use iTunes, please subscribe to the show and uh, write a review and rate it. And thank you to everyone that does do that. Really appreciate it. You can also tell your friends. That's the best way to help the show, I think, really. No, no, no. Actually, you know, this is definitely the best way to help the show. Uh, tell your friends about it. Tell them you enjoy uh, watching it and or watching it, listening to it each week. And, you know, but uh, also subscribe to it. That all also helps too. You will also see in there that there are some other podcasts in the Turned Out of Punk family. There's Oil and Flowers hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself where each week or each time we do one, I should say, because it's not every week, um, but <laughs> each time we do one, Buddha and I talk about the world of cannabis out there. Both of us are medical users, of course, and uh, have a, a strong interest in that sweet, sweet, sweet leaf. Uh, there's also Clobbering Time, which is hosted by Tom Bryan and myself. Tom Bryan, of course, from Stereo Gum. And he and I, you know, talk about pro wrestling on that show and have guests from music and kind of sort of the larger world on to just geek out about wrestling and talk about the, the sweet graps. And then you'll also see on there, there's Turned Out of Punk Footnotes, which is hosted by my good buddy and your good buddy, Chris O'Toole, who also figures pretty heavily into this week's show and last week's show and the week before that show and, uh, spoiler alert, next week's show too. Uh, he is, uh, of course, the co-host on that show, and each week he and I dissect an episode of Turned Out of Punk and get into some of the nerdier, kind of nitty-gritty that they're, you know, there is to talk about in these things because we they are a little dense with information. Uh, and these episodes, these live episodes are so dense, in fact, that we've had to call in our two contributors uh, or two of our most, I guess, regular loyal contributors and friends, uh, of, of course, friends, longtime friends in these cases, Dave Martin and Dave Ackerman from Tear It Up. Uh, Dave and Dave each week uh, dissect these episodes with us for these live episodes because they are they're heavy. There's so much stuff to talk about. You will hear in a second how much there is to talk about. But anyway, uh, you will see all those shows in that feed. And if you subscribe to that thing, and also you will find those shows other places. And they will have their own channel soon. And they will have their own lives. So if you're complaining about that, forget about it. Uh, also, uh, yeah, that's about that for, you know, 
things to talk about in advance of the show. Now on to this week's show. This week on the show, it's a doozy. It is live from Philadelphia. Now, Chris O'Toole and I had driven, or Chris had driven, uh, all day from Washington, D.C. We had left the Discord house, turn in, tune into Turn Out of Punk footnotes for more on that, because it's the best Turn Out of Punk episode that wasn't recorded, us at the Discord house, but we'll talk about that on the footnotes episode. Uh, anyway, so we drove... Got to Philadelphia, got to the venue, ran to Johnny Brenda's. Uh, thank you very much to uh, everyone for bearing with us there that night and putting up with the fact that we were incredibly late. Uh, but we got there, and I had thought that, you know, if this thing comes together like I think it will, this will be one hell of a show. And guess what? This is one of those times where everything did kind of come together. It starts off with an incredible phone call, and then we just go from strength to strength. So I will, uh, I will let you hear all the fun that is to be had, um, in a second. Uh, but I do have a couple of corrections. I guess I should give you the rundown of who's on the show first too. Uh, so it starts off with a very special guest. You'll hear that in one second. Uh, and then it moves on to, uh, of course, uh, uh, Jeff Cannonball coming back for a part two. And then it's on to my good buddy, one of my Closest friends in music, as I say on the show, Andy Nelson from Ceremony and all sorts of other stuff. And then it's on to Jake Goldberg, of course, of Eat the Turnbuckle. And then it's on to Dan Yemen from uh, Paint It Black. And, and, you know, he's got him and Andy have a new band. And he was in uh, some band called Kid Dynamite and, and some obscure band called Lifetime that some people I've heard of, I don't know. Just kidding. Uh, and then uh, we finish off with The Mighty Jackal. From Why Die. What an amazing show. So anyway, I'm not going to blather on too much longer. I do have a couple corrections to get to. First of all, thank you very much to John Worcester, uh, of course, former guest on the show, drummer in Super Chunk, who pulled some strings and managed to get this Philadelphia legend on the show who opens the show. You'll, you'll hear that in a second, but thank you very much to John Worcester. I don't know how you did this, but much appreciate appreciated. What is not appreciated at all is the fact that for some reason I call place in the sun out for blood in the Jackal conversation. I apologize to everyone and anyone. Uh, I guess that's the song that always, uh, you know, uh, stood out to me when I first heard it. And for some reason, that's what I call the record, but I apologize. That's not what it's called at all. Uh, it is an amazing record, and go find it. Uh, speaking of Jackal, he does use some heavy language, and uh, uh, not all language expressed is reflected necessarily of the show. And uh, there, we'll just leave it at that. There you go. <laughs> it's not too bad, you know, but uh, oh, it's pretty bad. Ah, you know, it, yeah, you, you'll hear Okay. Uh, so everyone, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Live from Philadelphia, turned out a punk.
Hello and welcome to the first ever Turn Out a Punk live in Philadelphia. It's an honor to be in the city, one of the greatest punk rock cities in the free world. And uh, there's an amazing history here. There's so many people that I wanted to talk to. If you've never heard about Turn Out a Punk and you're just here randomly, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a podcast every week where we just talk about music and the history of music and I find out how people got into punk rock. Uh, but I do have another show called Turn Into Punk Footnotes, which gets really nerdy. And that's hosted by myself and my good friend, Chris O'Toole. Please welcome to the stage, Chris O'Toole. Wait, Chris, I got your music all queued up. Apparently you don't. <laughs> So, Hi. we have spent the whole day celebrating this music. Yes. In, uh, we spent the whole week celebrating this music, driving around, interviewing people, getting to talk to people about the history of punk rock. And this has been one of those shows that, like, I, like, I do this podcast every week. I've had a lot of different people on, but this is one of those shows where I get to interview a bunch of people I've never gotten to interview before. Coming up on the stage are people from almost every era of music from the city and punk rock that I love and we celebrate on the show. But uh, I'm excited for today, buddy. I'm excited for every one of these. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that. It just, it's been consecutively great. Yeah. So what's your role today? What's my role today is yeah. to come out uh, and be a bit awkward after you interview people that have something to say. Yeah. So we will just add a little context and stuff and uh, just beat the points into the ground. That's what we like to do on this show. And... Uh, well, I guess it's, now it's almost time for me to invite up my first guest, uh, and it's it's really uh, I don't know it's like hard doing doing these things to try and figure out who you want on first, uh, but it's it's always like there's just so many people, right? Do you want to start chronologically? Do you want to start like with people that have been here from the start? Do you want to start with people that are currently doing it? You know, so there's oh, sorry, one second. How unprofessional. Hello? Hello? What's up, Damien? Hello? Hey, hey, Roy? Yeah, how's it going? Hey, hey, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Philly, dude. Where, where are you? Well, look, I'm sorry I can't be there. I was going to come, but I got arrested for selling bootleg tasty cakes out here in Roxboro. And I got to wear one of them ankle monitors, so I can't come. <laughs> Oh, man, well, you know what, like, I feel let down because, like, obviously I know you're, like, a huge fan of Philadelphia music, and, but I've never really... Well, I'm pretty much the king, I'm the king of the city. The king of the city, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I've, I've never really heard you go too deep on Philadelphia punk rock. Are you more of, like, a Hooters fan, or do you, do you mess with some of the other punk bands here, or actual punk bands here? Well, look... I'll take silly music over any kind of music. Okay. I'll take Baroo Review. I'll take Baroo Review over the Beatles. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll take the Alan Mann Band over the Who. You name it. Silly for life. <laughs> so I guess Roy, I want to start this off the way I start them all off, which is, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you came across the genre of punk rock? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I was up at Montgomeryville Mall. Okay. You know, just kind of stealing stuff, you know? <laughs> yep. Just kind of stealing stuff from, like, the, from the piercing pagoda, that earring.
place. <laughs> yeah. I've never been there, but I... And I, then I get... Go on. I was cool to eat, but the shit's easy to steal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then, I, you know, I'd make, I'd make my way down to the listening booth on the first floor. Mm-hmm. And I run into this dude there. He's looking at these punk albums. His name's Jim. He says he's in this band called Flag of Democracy. Oh, F.O.D. Absolutely. Yeah. So what did, what did Jim... What, what? And he's tri- well, first of all, you know, he had like a button on that said the Stranglers. Yeah. And so, of course, I had to beat him up, right? I was like, he's punk, I'm rock, I'm in the Blue Oyster Cold and that shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. But then I noticed that he's got a hoop patch on his park, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? I'm like Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. And so he goes, he goes, he goes, look, my man, you gotta check out this band, the Sex Pistols. And he hands me that, that, uh, from Nevermind the Bullets. And I'm like, I like porno, so maybe I'll dig this too. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the Sex so, so that was like, I loved it. It was like Ken Nugent, but a little more raucous, you know, with like the retarded guy thing. That's not cool to say anymore. I know that. Well, okay, well, as long as you recognize that that language we, we're not using. I do. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. So where did you kind of go I'm, from the same... Got... Oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, well, then I saw, you know, I went, I went to see a punk rock show. I saw his, he told me his band was playing down this place called Love All on Broad and South Street. And, like, I didn't go over to, you know, Center City much. I'm a Roxbury dude. Like I said, I'd go up to Montgomery and go to steal shit. <laughs> So I go to this show and check it out, man. It's it's my first show. Minor threat, autistic behavior, lost generation who stops crossing from Connecticut, <laughs> and McRad, who were like the best McRad, who like fused, you know, hardcore punk and the jams of reggae. No one else was doing that. Nobody. <laughs> about nobody, Roy. Like, there's like the bad brains. Well, who do you think was doing it? Well, the, the bad brains were kind of doing it too, right? And the yeah, I'm good for that DC shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what did you make of that uh, that spectacle that you were seeing? That's a legendary show you're talking about. Like, Minor Threat Love Hall in Philadelphia is like one of those kind of like benchmark kind of shows. I loved it because it was like 500 kids just fighting. <laughs> so what band well, that's, that's my heaven that's my heaven right yeah of course of course so what kind of band like which of those bands was I guess McRad was your, your favorite that night but what did you make of Minor Threat because they're like one of the you know they're on the Mount Rushmore for a lot of people as far as hardcore goes Oh, yeah, I thought they were great. You know, I love that the one dude who played the guitar looked like he was an Haircut 100. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wore those Oxford shirts, right? Yeah. He went on to wear that same shirt and say, hey. They didn't call him the G Chord Millennium Hardcore for nothing. Oh, they did. So where did that's you... off to Lyle Preslar. <laughs> so where did you kind of go from that? Like you now, I guess you're part of the scene at this point. Well, then I start, I started going to shows like 
every week. And I saw all the best Philly bands. I saw Ruin, Flag of Democracy, Blunder Boys, Peasants with Pitchforks, Dead Milkmen, the Psychotic Norman, probably the best band of all of them. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Glove Muffin, Informed Sources, Homo Picnic. I know that's not cool now, but they were that was cool then. Uh, Circle of Shit, right, of course, had the best song of all time. I Need to Murder. <laughs> it cuts to the point. Uh, decontrol, little gentleman, to name just a couple. Well, you left off one of my favorites, and actually a guest tonight, Why Die. Did you ever see Why Die? Yeah, I did, but here's why I didn't bring him up. Why's that? Well, at that minor threat show, Yeah. I was, I was on shrooms, like big time, right? Yeah. And I jumped off that second floor tier, and I landed right on their singer, Jackal. Oh, no. Well, and I took him out. It, I mean, it was great, but it was also bad, because he then beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's good. So then I stole his bike, but he didn't know I stole the bike, so I couldn't bring him up. Oh, okay, well... Hopefully you didn't hear that part, because uh, <laughs> maybe it's a good thing you're not here tonight then, Roy. In person, I mean. Uh-huh. Because, uh, I don't know, he, he, he still looks, he's still a pretty big dude, and uh, I, I, backstage, he did bring up a bike that got stolen one time. Wait, he's there with you? Yeah, he's, he's here now, buddy. Oh, shit. <laughs> he don't know where I live in Roxburgh, do he? I, I don't, I, I hope not. Um, well, look, I want to tell him, maybe this will gain some favor. Uh, I skipped my senior prom to see the Meat Men, Why Die, The Obsessed, and the Butcher Brothers at Long March Jazz Academy. Oh, my God. And, and they did the best, they did the best version of Peace of My Heart by Big Brother and the Holding Company. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But that sounds like an amazing show. And, and, and it was the meat men with Brian and Lyle. Oh, was Lyle wearing the Oxford? No, come to think of it, he was wearing a caveman outfit that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So there goes my theory. <laughs> there goes your theory. <laughs> Well, Roy, what was the point? Because like I, I've been playing punk shows here for the last sort of ten plus years now, and I've I've never gotten to see yeah. you at a show. What point did you kind of leave punk rock and you kind of drifted out of here? Well, you know, to, to be honest, I got out of hardcore in '85 when I realized that my five dollar a night entertainment budget could be better spent elsewhere. <laughs> and by elsewhere, I mean Jiggles Gentlemen's Club on Ridge Avenue. That sounds like Roy. <laughs> well, looking back on it now, what were the takeaways you have from punk rock, Roy? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, the kids were great. If you, if you fell down, someone would pick you up. Of course. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, oh, this band Scram sucked. <laughs> so that's the two big takeaways. <laughs> well, Roy, hopefully next time when you're off probation and I'm back in Philadelphia, I can get you back in the pit. Okay. I'll get you back in the pit somehow. You'll come out and you can maybe 
you you got to you got to see eat the turnbuckle, Roy. Whoa, what's oh no, Danny! Look, I I gotta run. The cops are outside. I stole a cake to Yingling today, and I stole the truck it was into, and I probably shouldn't have parked it in front of my house. So later, Danny, keep it Philly, Philly shreds. Alright, Danny, hacksaw. Bye, Roy. Philly boy, Roy, everyone. Well, that sucks. That's our first cancellation of the night. But we've got a lot more guests to get to. I'm going to call up the first guest tonight, apart from Roy, of course, a friend of mine who I got to meet at the Tournament of Death last year. He's a returning guest to this show. Please welcome to the stage, Jeff Cannonball. I had you cued music too, but I got too excited about doing that high five, Jeff. Yes, this was a great high five. It was a good high five. It would be, it's really terrible when you miss a high five. Oh, we nailed it, though. We nailed it yeah. in a high-profile situation. So, Jeff, you've come back to the show now. You've been on the show before. Sure, yeah. And we talked a lot. Like, so people understand, you're, this, you're a deathmatch wrestler. You're a wrestler. A wrestler. Sure. But you're known for the deathmatch. Known for the deathmatch. Um, and believe me, if you have not seen this guy in a wrestling match... Oh my gosh, you are awesome. But when I got to see you for the first time, your entrance music, I'm standing there, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to expect because I see that this guy has a tear it up ripoff shirt. I found out it's actually legit later on, but I'm like, this guy's selling a tear it up ripoff shirt? Like what, maybe you just thought that was like a stock image or something? And then all of a sudden I hear plastic bomb blaring over the PA by Poison Idea and out comes Jeff Cannonball because you're also like a punk rock Hardcore kid sure. for, for, for days, right? Uh, for a couple days. Yeah. For a couple days. Yeah, a couple days. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and uh, actually, I remember at Tournament of Death, I didn't use Plastic Bomb. And yeah. You kind of uh, reprimanded me about that. And so uh, this past weekend at Cage of Death, I finally made them use Plastic Bomb. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, so I'm back to doing that now. <laughs> I bet. It was odd. This, and so you just finished what, you know, from what I've seen, is an incredibly brutal weekend. Oh, definitely. It, like, was Cage of Death, is it, is it harder than, than Tournament of Death? Or is it, like, what's the different feel? Because they seem like very different shows. Well, uh, Cage of Death is pretty much everything that you get at a deathmatch show, but we're in an actual cage. Um, so it's kind of like, and we had eight people in the cage this year. So it was kind of like, no matter what happens, you're getting hit with something, even if you're not meaning to get hit with something. So, like, at one point, I hit one of the opponents with a, a, uh, one of those big blue water jugs. And it went flying and hit my partner. So no matter what, you're getting hit with shit. But like, um, for me, Tournament of Death was the most painful day of my life. Yeah. So I'll give that one over Cage just because of that. Well, I, I made this documentary. I'm not plugging the documentary, but it's called uh, Bloodlust Tournament of Death. And it's, it's about deathmatch wrestling. That was and a great plug. That was, thank for, you. For it's, it's, plug. You can find it on YouTube. It's, uh, it's doing, no. But, but in it, Jeff steals the show. Steals the show because you had a Kenzan, Kenzan, uh, put in your head, like hammered into your head, yeah, and then it's removed, which was even worse than getting it hammered in. I bet it was much worse actually getting getting pulled out with uh, pliers. Yeah, and two grown men with pliers had to pull this chunk of metal with a bunch of nails on it out of my head. But there's it wasn't just two people. There's like people holding down skin. Yeah, people holding down. You to make sure you like you know because they're pulling so hard on the top of your head. 
now that people have seen that sequence, have you had anyone come up to you and, and oh, yeah. talk about it? Um, immediately, like, um, shortly after that came out, I wrestled in New York. I don't wrestle in New York too often. They just don't like me there for whatever reason. And um, it was, this was like right after that, the weekend after. And I had multiple fans come up to me um, and they just brought that up. And that's all they talked about. And then I was like, oh, I have the DVD. And so I sold a couple DVDs based <laughs> off of that documentary, which was awesome. Um, at that show, actually, my manager was AP Mike from The Best Show. Yes. And so there were Best Show fans who were talking to me about wrestling that they found out about me through you. And I was like, this is just everything I like coming together <laughs> right now at this first table. It was perfect. Well, that's what I'm saying. As soon as you finally break straight and start smoking weed, you and me will become one person. Oh, well, I, yes. I can't wrestle. And, no, uh, you can. Oh, I can't. You get nails hammered into your head. I, I would cry. Like, I, that's the thing. When anyone who sees that sequence has said to me, is like, what's he like? And I'm like, he's like the sweetest, most awesome, vegan, straight edge, hardcore kid that you've ever met. And they're like, he's not terrifying? Yeah, and I saw like uh, a couple of the YouTube comments because I'm not used to, uh, uh, I guess, relative popularity. And that YouTube video has a bunch of uh, comments on it that are almost 100% negative about me and the people in the documentary. And there's a part where I'm just looking at my arm and there's a bunch of things about how I'm doing heroin. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And like, yeah, clearly this Trump supporting guy is doing heroin. I'm like, I didn't vote for Trump at all. And I'm not, I've never done heroin or even drank alcohol. But because I do that, everybody assumes that I'm going to be this crazy drug addicted uh, right wing sister fucker or something or other. And I'm like, everybody just hates it. Yeah, and I guess it's funny because we talked about this on the other podcast, but like, uh, that was the thing for me. Like, I, I've watched Deathmatch before, like, Deathmatch Wrestling before. I've watched, like, I love wrestling, if you <laughs> believe me. This could go all wrestling very quickly, but... Sorry, <laughs> everybody else. <laughs> but, like, I, I, you know, and I thought I knew what it would... Like, what the type of person that would be involved in that would be like. But it's it's a huge swath of sure. people that are attracted to it. Like, like punk. Yeah, you I know? agree with that. It's definitely like you get... Because you do get your people who are... You know, just to go off the YouTube comments, the Trump supporters, and, the, and all that stuff. And you get the YouTube the comments out. for that video are ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's very mean. And I've been, and I, I've, you know, being a, a large overweight person that takes their shirt off at concerts for years, I've had some mean comments thrown my way. But that video, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, you, you do get the people who are, you know, the stereotype, I guess, of what you would think. But then you do get, like, I'm not the only, I wasn't even the only straight edge person in that video. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the, on the comments is, oh, these people are all fucking junkies and this and that and whatever. And it's like, no, there's at least three people in that video that I know of are completely straight edge or clean and whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it like you said, it, it attracts all different walks of life. Like you have, just like with punk, where you get the people who want to come and just get drunk at the show and throw mm -hmm. beer around and do whatever. And then you get the dudes with the X's on their hands and all that. And, it's just different people like different things, and they all come together under this one banner. Sometimes it's bum, sometimes for me it's wrestling. Well, speaking of coming together, when are you going to bring the two passions together and start doing another band? Uh, whenever Andy Scarpula over here uh, decides to do a band with me. Well, Andy, it up. In the house. Legendary Philly hardcore. Sorry, New Jersey yeah, hardcore. Wait a minute. New Jersey. Oh, my God. Philly Boy Roy's on my brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... I I don't know, like, wrestling takes up so much time that I feel like I'd be a terrible bandmate at this point because almost every Saturday and most Fridays uh, I'm wrestling at this point and, uh, you know, it, 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 I would feel bad for somebody else who'd be like, hey, let's do a band, but 
hey, by the way, I can only play shows on Thursdays or Mondays. And like, I feel like I would just be a terrible person to be in a band with, but it, I, I would still like to try again. Well, given that Philly Boy Roy just called in, uh, best show caller extraordinaire, how did you first hear about the best show? Because you are also a member of the best show. The Friends uh, of Tom. The Friends of Tom, but not just a friend of Tom, a contributor to the best sure. show. Uh, it was when I was younger, and they had the Smasher Trash segment, and then a buddy of mine's band was on it. I think we actually we did about talk about this briefly. Yeah, yeah. and um, that like got me hooked on listening to it. And I thought the uh, John Worcester calls were real at the time. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" Like this, was, it blew my mind. Wait, shh, I'm sorry. Shh, they are real. <laughs> um, and then I I got hooked on it immediately, and now it's cool because like you said, I did um, I did the record with Tom by yeah. way of Gary the Squirrel. I had AP Mike manage me, and now I'm on a podcast with Philly uh, Boy Roy. So everything's just working out for me in that in that realm. Well, we got to do one thing to bring it full circle. You got to bring Tom Sharpling to his first TOD. Oh, I would. I feel like Tom would never. I mean, not that we speak all the time at all. <laughs> I feel like he would never speak to me again. <laughs> I um. He already kind of like he didn't seem happy with me for uh, wrestling at the gathering with the Juggalos. So if I brought him to a live performance, such as TOD, I feel like he would not be happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> what has the more uh, 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 lively fan base? Would it be uh, the, the gathering of the Juggalos and wrestling in front of that group or wrestling in front of the TOD audience? Oh, man. Uh, TOD, I think they just they kind of understand wrestling more. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so they're very into that. But when I was at the gathering both years, all they want to see is you bleed. So, like, they don't care what's happening as long as, like, the people in the ring are just drenched in blood and cutting themselves up and going through panes of glass and things like that. Um, so, in that case, like, I guess TOD's more into it overall, but the gathering, I tried to sleep there, and I was woken up at 6.30 in the morning to people chanting, fuck your sleep. So, that's the more lively crowd in that sense. So, it's different. It's different things. What is, are you sleeping in a tent? Yeah, I, I, uh, the first year, I, I went home right after I performed. The second year, I wrestled on Thursday, and my girlfriend Tara Calloway wrestled on the Saturday show. So they're like, they got, they gave us like a campsite. So we got a tent, and we're like, fuck it, we're like going full in. And so we set up the tent, and like I was done wrestling probably about four in the morning. We got to the tent at like five thirty a.m. and like I'm a light sleeper. It's hot out, and like I'm sleeping on the ground, and. I barely got to sleep, and then probably not even an hour later, I wake up to people chanting, fuck your sleep, and fireworks going on. And somehow she slept through it the whole time, and I'm just sitting there like, this is the worst. This, I hate this now. Like, I was having a great time, now I'm miserable. The lineup for the bathroom at Gathering the Juggalos every morning must be insane, because there's all these people that have to put on the makeup. Well, <laughs> like hundreds of people just lined up. Uh, they all went till the last day, I noticed. Oh, they don't? Weird. Weird. Oh. Because the first year I went, um, I've been two years now, the first year I went, uh, I was the day before ICP played, and nobody had the makeup on. I was like, this is weird. And then this year, I was there for three days, so I was there when ICP played, and that day, everybody's got the makeup on. They're all ready to go. I guess you put it on the Friday, it's going to be all runny and shitty yeah. by the Sunday. So they wait for the day where it's like, oh, now Now's the time. Shaggy 2 going to notice me on the sick-ass clown <laughs> makeup. And then, like... You know, you're going to credit 9,000 other people <laughs> playing the clown makeup, which is awesome to see. Yeah. And I think we've talked about, like, 
When I was at the gathering, I got to go on stage with ICP and whip Fagos into a crowd of 10,000 people. And like, there is nothing like standing on stage. I mean, you've probably done it, you're famous. No, I've never whipped Fago into a crowd. I'm not that famous. <laughs> I'm like small, small F famous. What, I like standing there looking into a crowd of like 10,000 people. I'm just like, this is crazy. And here's Fago. And like, just throwing that and spraying. I'm like, this is crazy. And then uh, uh, my girl, her name's Sam. She wrestles under Terracotta. Sam's phone broke because it got soaked in Fago and all that. And afterwards, she goes, I don't even care. That was actually kind of fun. And she, like, the rest of the weekend was just furious because she's going to Porta Bay and there's shit everywhere. And, like, uh, my parents aren't going to listen to this. She smoked weed at the gathering. And she never smokes weed, but she's like, I can't take this. So she just started getting high at the gathering, which I thought was hilarious. Getting high at the gathering is an amazing name for a record. <laughs> well, me and Andy do our band. That's going to be the Yo, getting high at the gathering. straight edge guys are going to make a record getting high at the gathering. Well, if you need to add some authenticity to this project, I know a vocalist who might smoke a little marijuana. And I'll pull some strings. Kevin Gill, who used to do uh, OG for Together in his records. Uh, the that West. is a. I. That's why I keep telling you to get him I know, on the show. I fucking... And I keep telling him to get you on his I show. I forget every couple days that, like, I, like, I just, like, blank on it that, like, oh, yeah, that Kevin Gill that I hear every week on Kevin Gill's Kevin show, show or on uh, Keeping the 100 is also the same dude that put out the New York City Hardcore documentary compilation. Yep, and he did that. He did a bunch of No Redeeming records. He had a lot so of No Redeeming fun. records. And now he books the rest of them at the gathering. So, like, I get to go to the gathering and talk about, like, Kill Your Idols and the Pro Mags. And it's awesome because I'm sitting there, like, you would never think this, and we're talking, and um, he goes, what do you come out to? And I told him Plastic Bomb, and I didn't have my music on me. He goes, how about the Chromex? I go, okay. He goes, I have Agent Coral in my car. I'll go get it right now. And he ran to his car and got it, and I came out to the Chromex that night. I was like, this is pretty awesome. That's like the most New York hardcore thing ever. Oh, You're like, 100%. what's your favorite New York, what's your favorite punk band? I'm like, I don't know. I like, I like the Clash or the Sex Pistols. Ah, probably Gnostic Front. Yeah. You should probably say Gnostic Front. <laughs> That's basically what happened. <laughs> That's basically what happened. But, no, he, he's awesome, and, uh, you know, we'll do this band, we'll pull some strings, and we'll play The Gathering. Well, <laughs> I'm going to come see you at The Gathering in he's whatever there. capacity it is, because i got to go to that. That's my... 100%. I, it's only my bucket list, so I can chant, fuck your sleep, and pour Vago in people's faces, <laughs> and set off fireworks. I'm going to just sleep in my car down the road next time. I'm not getting a tent again. <laughs> well, I'm going to need someone to crash, so I might be in that car with you. Perfect. Fuck your sleep, Jeff. Fuck your sleep, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll wake up and Sam will sleep peacefully and I'll be so confused by how she does <laughs> Well, Jeff, I hope you come back for a part three. Anytime. Thank you so much, my friend. Woo! Everyone give it up for Jeff Cannonball! Chris, I believe you have a stage to come to. Until I hear the music. There's your music, buddy. Good job. Good record. Amazing record. Amazing record. So we got we got two to talk about there. Yeah. We got Philly Boy Roy calling in and uh, the return of Jeff Cannonball, who we've talked about extensively on the footnotes. All <laughs> yeah, time. yeah. Um, Philly Boy Roy, I think I understood maybe one reference. Like yeah. FOD, FOD, oh why not? Of course, but there was that was about it. There were some deep cuts off. there. Like I think I know a lot about like nerdy music stuff, but I was just like. Uh -huh. Oh, that pen! I don't... <laughs> ruins, I knew Ruins too. There were a couple other ones that I was like, oh, like, but, deep, man, deep, deep cuts from Philly Boy Roy. Of course. Would you ever go to the Gathering of the Juggalos? <sighs> Will you See, drive me to the Gathering of the Juggalos? You're like, you're prompting me to say this in public where I never know where Juggalos will be. Um, so having said that, I'm just... 
The answer is no, very obviously. Wow, but, that's terrible. You, but, you lose on this but, one, Chris. Like, I'm fine with it existing, but no, it's not mine. It's not my lane. <laughs> I'm saying... Although, actually, if you all, like, looking at me now, were like, that guy's a huge juggalo, I think you'd probably be pretty, like, surprised by that, so maybe that's, like, the coolest thing I should do. You should, that'd be amazing if you became a juggalo. No, I, I don't, yeah, it's not my thing. I, I did a blog once. I recall this. And I, do they know this? Oh yeah, I did say this on the show already. Okay, I did this blog once and I dissed Juggalos. This is great. They come at you hard. I was like, I'm like I didn't even diss them. I said, my thing was that uh, I, I was mainly about Turbo Negro fans, which I said were the Juggalos of punk rock. But then I also went on to say that Juggalos are like the modern day punk rock kids. The last, the last real bastards. Well, they're, just, they're despised by a lot of society. They're into like all this stuff that people don't necessarily like, and they're not understood, and the authorities don't like them. Music, not not my thing, but but and homies is a sick song. We can all no, agree. We cannot homies agree is probably that. the We've best song. This in the show. <laughs> it's, you it's guys all know that homies is not a sick song. Can I at least get consent? It's a sick song. It's definitely not. Couple tracks. Couple tracks. No. Couple tracks. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, buddy? All right, well that's it, Chris. Thank you very much. Next up on the stage, I'm gonna welcome one of my best friends in music, Andy fucking Nelson. That was a really short. That's your, well, you don't get a long song. Like, would we wanna sit through some boring ass free instrumental that I stole from one of my bands? No. <laughs> if only you had like a long song we could play. In discography somewhere. I, uh, those are all owned by the uh, Matador Corporation, so I can't really play them in a public setting without paying royalties. <laughs> without, without paying for Ceremony's van or something. I wish. That'd be nice. Anyway. <laughs> Would have been nice. What's up, man? How's it going, buddy? Are we just gonna, let's just touch this. Let's just hold hands the whole time. <laughs> so, you're someone I've known for a long time. You did one of my first shows in this city. Uh, so the I first one. No, you did the first one. We did the oh, well, in this city. In, the in this city. city. That's, That's true. Right. The first one was in like some other part of Pennsylvania. Was it, it was in Delco. It was in Clifton Heights. Okay, Clifton yeah. Heights. Yeah. Little known fact: the first fucked up show in this area was in Clifton Heights, PA. It was blacklisted, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. we're playing with blacklisted. This is going to be insane. <laughs> There's going to be like a thousand people here. It's going to be huge." We get there. There's like eight. Were you there, Andy? Because David Up was there, but no Andy and Up. I don't yeah. think so. No, but it was like. I would probably remember because there were like eight people there and they're like, I was not one of them. and like their blacklist was like, yeah, we mainly draw on like Metro Philly. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely true. Although the second show was awesome. It was amazing. Incredible. It, it was the only show I ever did at that place, uh, the Halfway House in West Philly, which was literally half of a house. I don't know if you remember. I remember it had a really low ceiling in the basement. Yeah, but it also had, you didn't see this either when I got there. It was like the punkest punk house I ever went to in my whole life. To the extent where I showed up to like bring the PA or whatever, and the dude like looked like he fell out of like a trash can and answered the door and was like, "Oh yeah, that show's tonight, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he was, I was like, "Is it is it still chill?" And he was like, "Yeah." And then we went into the basement. He's like, "Oh, all right, let me get you a snow shovel." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And I went into the basement, and literally the entire floor of the basement was 40s and beer cans. 
from like whatever party they had the night before. And so I spent like an hour with him, like snow shoveling 40s into garbage bags so that when the fucked up showed up, they wouldn't die. Um, which was like so fun. And then the show was sick. Violent Minds played. Oh, Violent Minds played that? I, yeah. You know what I remember most of that show? Getting an H100 7 inch on white. What? <laughs> yeah. From who? From someone, like one of the punk kids was selling records at that show. Oh, really? And I went through Wait, it. Which one? Dismantle? Uh, no, no, H, um, Texas Deathmatch. Oh, right, right, right. The hard one to get. Yeah. The Chase record. But this is not about that show. It's not about fucking me. It's not about my H100s records. Right. It's about you, Andy. All right. How did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hang on. We got to do this. Like, yo, everyone move up. <laughs> Someone falls down. Take care of each other out there. Pick them up. I just want to do that. Have you done that for a live podcast yet? No, not yet. <laughs> I'm hoping these people don't stage dive down there. That's what I'm really Yeah, don't be a dick. Don't dive head first, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Only a selfish lover would do that. So what was your first exposure to the punk rock genre? Are you wearing, actually, by the way, an ankle-length bomber jacket? Yeah. Well, it's called a long-line bomber. Really? Yeah. What do you think? I've just, I've never seen that a jacket like that. I, th- I hugged you, and I thought you were wearing a trench coat. And I'm like, no. and he's wearing a trench coat. No. And now I'm seeing it for the first time. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. Do you like it? It's cool. Actually, you have a lot of listeners, right? Well, you're gonna, you, I, I hope so. Well, I was going to say, I'm after this Stone Island jacket that's similar to this, and if anyone from Stone Island is listening, please get in touch on a lava free one. Okay. <laughs> if that happens, it's a fucking miracle. Well, I don't know. You get free shit, right? Like from Yeah. If I mention something, like, if, if I mention something on the podcast, I don't get it for free. Believe me, I don't have a sex drive yet or a vengeance. Really? I mention those a lot. <laughs> and we... You should do that at the end of your show, like plugs. Like, by the way, just to wrap it up, still need a fix, vengeance, still need a sex drive. Andy, you know how much you talk about weed? Yeah. I haven't even gotten weed on this tour. That's not true. I swear to God. Really? I'm like four days, no weed. Is it now that weed is legalized, is it like not a thing? Whoa, slow down. It's not legalized. They actually rescheduled CBD today to a schedule one drug, which is shocking given the, oh, sorry, straight. I'm so bored. Yeah, straight edge warrior. (laughs) I'm not a warrior, but come on. (laughs) No, we have to talk about something super fascinating. Yeah, you're, how you going to pump, dude? All right, I'm getting to it. Uh, well, I think, so your podcast has a couple of trends, like one is the internet and the other one is Nirvana, right? <laughs> I so think I know what's going on here. You're going to waste all your time and you're never going to tell me. No, I'm going to tell you. Yes, we have a couple of no. Nirvana, I would say, here are the ways people got into punk yeah. that are around yeah. this age. Nirvana, mm-hmm. skateboarding, yeah, yeah, yeah. older sibling. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was Nirvana. I'm going to tell you the short version because I know we only have a little bit of time. But it's definitely Nirvana for me. And like, I mean, Nirvana, you've talked about a lot on your show about how it's like, that was like the best gateway drug, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I mean, we always hear about like gateway drugs, like anti-flag and stuff where it's like, all right, anti-flag is like whatever, but like, because then I heard about crass. Yeah. You know, I heard... uh, Toxic Reasons. They did a Toxic Reasons cover on a a picture disc I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they also were like... They covered Mission of Burma yep. and stuff like that, but whatever. This isn't the anti-flag podcast. But for but for Nirvana, like if you're like t- like I was twelve when I first heard or ten maybe, um, like heard Nirvana on like a single that I got at like wall to wall sound and video. So were you buying music other than like were you buying like classic rock at that point, or were you kind of into? Uh, well, up until then, like I grew up in a real musical household. My parents were both like had a big record collection. We had a record player and stuff like that. They were both my parents turned eighteen in nineteen sixty nine. Okay. So like that's kind of like 
what their record collection looked like. You yeah. can kind of guess what it was like. And actually, lately, whenever I hang out with so them, Stooges, MC Five, no, no, <laughs> but like Velvet Underground, yeah, and like that's shit awesome, like that, you know. But we like so they're like deeper stuff than it wasn't just all Big Brother and the Holding Company and like the kind of stock records that you would have. I mean, there was a lot of stock records, but there was, there was, um, there were, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, if you look at someone's record collection, it's like a mini autobiography, yeah. right, you know, so it's like, it's also worth noting, too, that, like, my mom had cooler records, for sure. Like, she was a cool one. My dad, my dad, you can tell, he went to college and started buying, like, folk, like, weird, <laughs> like, music of the Ozarks and stuff like that, but I'm sure, like, in 1970 seemed, like, really fucking right on, you know? <laughs> Whereas, like, my mom, like, I found out recently, like, she went to see Bowie, like, before he was Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust, you know? Like, on the, like, a first, was yeah. she in England or here? No, here. So, like, on a, like, that must have been the in first Jersey tour or something. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. But I think, you know, if you're just, like, a teenager in, like, 1967 or something, just, like, if you go see live music, some of it's going to be something fucking crazy, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, so I had, they have, I had access to a lot of records. My dad, like, played guitar. He even like made some tapes of like he was more like a bluegrass guy, you know. But he had like this band called the Monkey Spankers. <laughs> I swear to God, and they we had, had like, a bluegrass band. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like him and his friend Les Les Pascal, his like friend from work, and they like made two tapes, you know. And like one of them had like a picture of a monkey with like a boner on it. You know? I remember that. So they did a lot of like you know traditional like bluegrass stuff. They might have write wrote some stuff too. But anyway. I got like, um, I was into just like, you know, whatever was on the radio. Yeah. So it was like mostly rap and like R&B and stuff like that. Like I think a lot of people, like I had a paper out when I was a little kid and I would like go deliver papers and listen to like the fucking Casey Kasem countdown and shit. And like the stuff that appealed to me was like, at the time it was like Public Enemy and NWA and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So you hear Nirvana and where do you kind of get, go from there? Because there's like a lot of ways you can go like from, you know, like, Chris Nolan's wearing an SSD yeah, shirt, yeah. but Kurt's also wearing like Beat Happening shirts. So I went more towards Beat Happening for yeah. sure, and I think a lot of that had to do with um, when did the Michael Eisenberg book come out? You must know that. Uh, is it like what is it? Ninety something? Two thousand one? Uh, maybe? No, 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 no. It came out in like ninety four or something. No, like the, this Bank of Your Life? No, no, no. The, oh, the, oh, the Nirvana, the Nirvana book. Uh, he wrote like that that first like Nirvana biography yeah. that like everyone makes fun of now. Yeah. So it was just like a t you know. I like that. I actually love that book. It's me, got some cool stuff. Me in it. too. Yeah. Well, in the back there was this crazy like list of records. Yeah. You know. And so I bought that book when I was like a teenager or whatever. And not not even like I always had an appetite for like, you know, same as like right now. And I think same as you. Where like if you're into something, you want to know like everything mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So like you know you'd read. Rolling Stone spin or whatever, and it was just like a couple steps from from that and seeing the bands that they repped, like Beat Happening or Sonic Youth or you know Black Flag even or Shonen Knife or like you know whatever um, to like getting Maximum Rock. I remember there was like beef about how they like put a Maximum Rock and Roll thing in a music video in like '92 or '90. What what video had that? I think it was Sliver, and they had to take it out. Oh, I remember there was a thing like it was like, and I was like, oh, Maximum Rock and Roll, what's that? And then you know there was a record store that I could ride my bike to from my parents' house called Repo Records in Bryn Mawr. And, you know, they had, like, they had Max Mark and Roll. I was like, oh, that's Max Mark and Roll. And so I started buying that, you know. And it was, like, pretty easy to, like, start buying things. Repo was a really great resource back then because they had, like, you know, looking back, like, um, they had the funniest group of employees, you know. It was, like, totally like a movie <laughs> where it was, like, 
you know. They made a movie called Empire Records. Yeah, I know. This is like that, but I think it's almost funnier. It's, yeah, it's probably darker than Empire Records. Anymore. I don't know, maybe. And isn't Empire Records all about suicide? There's like some weird, like, there's like a million plot lines in that movie. Yeah. It was made by a Canadian guy. And then he failed in America and had to move back to Canada to make movies. <laughs> After that movie. <laughs> that movie ruined his career. A cautionary tale. A cautionary tale. Do not make a movie about record stores, Andy, if that's what you're hoping to do one day. Um, yeah, no, okay. okay. Uh, but they had, like, you know, there was, like, there was, like, the heavy metal guy who looked like he was, like, a kiss roadie. And then there was, like, this, like, super mean, like, indie rock lady who was, like, kind of Riot girl style, but, like, would just, like, you could tell she's just fucking hating you the whole time you were in the store. And then there was this guy named Mark who I just, I, like, if there was anyone that I could, like, run into now, like, that's the guy I would want to run into. Because he was, like, the nicest dude, this British guy. And I think he maybe worked for, like, Rough Trade or Southern, and then, like, maybe went back to that. Like, he left America. Okay. But anyway, he was, like, the guy that would, like, talk to you and put you on to shit or whatever. And so, um, so yeah, like, he would see me buying, like, the Beat Happening record. And the Beat Happening was, like, at the time, was, like, a massively important band to me because like it kind of like it kind of like exploded my idea of like what being a band was you know i also heard that they were straight edge which i was too at the time is that true Are they, were they i don't know if it is true or not but i read somewhere that like they didn't do drugs or yeah because drink because the olympia thing was like a reaction to the seattle thing yeah so like all the cool seattle bands were into heroin so the stuck us olympia people <laughs> were like we're not gonna do any of that kind of a cool position to take i imagine no, well, I don't know. I mean, it's also like, I also think it's important to note that like, when you're getting into stuff back then, it's not like linear. No. You know? It's so a like, scattershot. Yeah, right. Yeah. So at the same time I bought the Nirvana tape, I probably bought like a fucking Dr. Dre tape at the same time or like an SWV tape or, you know, whatever it was. So, and you just kind of like develop, you know? Um, and, uh, but anyway, so yeah, so like hearing like Beat Happening was like massively important because it was like, oh, these people like clearly can't play. You know, or that, and they can't like they don't they don't sing on key or whatever. But these songs are better than any song that I've heard this like on the radio or anything. You know what I mean? I walk around my middle school like singing those songs to myself. So, um, so yeah. And then this guy Mark would like just talk to me and like show me things and play things for me and whatever. And uh, and so like yeah, it was crazy. They had a great like that one half of the store was like used vinyl, the other half was like new stuff. Um, and so, like, yeah, they had fanzines. That's where, that's where you go to, like, see flyers for shit or, like, buy a zine or, you know, whatever. So what was your first show? Like, when did you cross that threshold? Hmm. I actually don't know the answer to this question. Really? Um, no, because I well, think... Well, then what's like, the first show that resonated with you, I guess? Well, like, I remember there was this band... I can tell you this, like, when I was in sixth grade, there was a band called Justified Action. Okay. Did they record or do anything? Yeah. Um... And like they were a band that like I heard about from my friends who like at the time I was trying to be a skateboarder, but I, you know, we all tried. It didn't take. I tried for like six years. I tried forever. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? I really tried. How many people here have like a failed attempt in their life of being a skateboarder? It just doesn't take. Hey, clap! Time. You can do my applause. Right? Yeah, you try. I kind of like hate people that are good at skateboarding. If I have to be honest, you know. Well, I don't. I realized that recently. Today, uh, we went to the Discord house yeah. before we came here, and I got into like a debate with Ian McKay about like whether or not wrestling was the most punk physical activity there was, and he was like, skateboarding, 
skateboarding. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll concede that. And that, but you have to concede. Isn't it, playing punk the most physical? No. No. So you're saying wrestling is more punk yes. than punk? Yes. Yeah. Wrestling, then, wrestling's kind of a sport, and sports suck. Yeah, but it's also it subverts sports. It's like it's like punk is kind of just like rock music, but it subverts rock music in a cool way. You're right. Wrestling subverts sports in a cool way. I realized that I don't understand wrestling really. I've been trying to understand. I told you last time we hung out. Yes, we did. I heard CM Punk talk about, like, explain the thing you're talking about, about how it's like an abstraction or whatever. And I was like, uh, okay, that kind of makes sense, but I still, I still don't care about it. Well, that's your. But life. you're still crazy. Like playing punk or like, you know, I don't know, moshing or something is definitely more of a punk physical. Moshing maybe. I'll give you moshing. Yeah. But I think playing punk might be the least punk thing you can do involved in punk rock. Because you're putting yourself on a pedestal. You're like, you're already like, you know what I'm saying? That's no, like the first, that's the first removal from the crowd. Wow. You know, you're taken out of the crowd, Andy. You're on the stage now, buddy. How philosophical do you want to get? Let's get fucking philosophical, dude. I haven't smoked weed in four days. I'm ready to get really? trippy. Why not? Because I don't get People didn't bring me Does weed. anyone have some no, weed from No, no. I've decided I'm not going to have weed on this whole tour because I'm going so home tomorrow night and I've got the sickest wax oil shit ever. Dabs? Dabs, Andy. Mm, man. Andy doesn't smoke weed no, or no. drink, but he does dabs because that is cool. <laughs> I think that, yeah, doing dabs is like the most straight-edge physical activity. Now you're thinking like I think. Right, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what could possibly affect your brain. You subvert the dab. You know, you're subverting. It's, it's a straight-edge abstraction. It's a straight-edge abstraction. Yeah, exactly. Or a straight-edge extraction. That's for all you weed smokers out there. <laughs> anyway, there was this band called Justified Action, as I was saying. And, like, my friends, you know, it was, like, the thing where it was still the time where like there was no internet, yep. you know, like for me there was a before and after the internet, and so like it it was like you'd borrow a CD from someone or someone would tape something for you, and in this case there was like a band that went to our high school that like people liked, and they had a tape that you could get, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which like to I don't know how old you are when you're in sixth grade, but like to me at the time I was like that is fucking crazy. How is that? They must be like the coolest biggest band ever, whatever, and I remember getting a copy of it from my friend Zach, and he was like, all right, you can borrow this and like, make a copy, but like, you know, you need to give it back to me. And like, I actually don't have a copy of it anymore, but it was um, Mike McKee's first band. What? Yeah. Really? And Jeff Ziga, my, my roommate, uh, his brother played in the band too. So I didn't know any of this stuff. At have, the time. You gotten, like, have you asked Mike for another copy of this? I have like a, like a copy of all the stuff, but yeah. I remember like their their demo cover had like a Chuck Taylor like like one of the, these stars on it, you know. But it's a Justified Action. It was like a blue tape, and it was like you know, it was to me it was like the coolest thing ever. And so I saw them play like somewhere near where I lived, you know. There were like shows near like I grew up in Ardmore. Philly Boy Roy was um, talking about the Little Gentleman. Do you have that record? The, no, I don't. Okay, so that's like the only like 80s punk band that I'm aware of that's from Ardmore. Okay. Which is like where I'm from. And they're pretty, it's pretty good too. You're I gotta get it. They have a single called Suicide Notes, I think it's called. What year? Like 82 maybe. Oh shit. Or, like early 80s for sure. Is it like punk or is it like more hardcore? It's more, it's more punk for okay. sure. But like, um, but yeah, like, 
Um, there were like shows near, I think like a lot of people, your first shows are just like near where you are, mm -hmm. you know? So it wasn't like the kind of thing where I was like, mom, can you drive me to see Rancid? Or, you know, whatever a lot of people's first experiences are. It was just like, like, oh, like these bands of kids are playing like fucking high school, so we're gonna go there. And, like, and that to me was like really, like in a way like that was cooler to me, I think. Um, there was also a lot of shows at the colleges near my house, like Bryn Mawr, Bryn Mawr College was like a really famous, famous one, yeah. liberal arts school, like would do a lot of shows for the same like Sub Pop and K Records. Like now that I'm older I understand like the circuit, you know, where it's just like, oh these like, you know, indie rock college bands, like they go and play like Haverford College on like a Monday night. And it wasn't like Pennywise was showing up and playing. Or no, it would be like, you know, I saw the makeup like three times, yeah. you know, like at, at Bryn Mawr. Um, I remember me and Josh Yeager got yelled at by someone from the front beats for like being too loud at one of the shows. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know, like, I'm not sure who it was, but, um, but I remember getting like shush, like some like, you know, K Records, like singer-songwriter guy was playing, me and Josh would be a little idiots, you know, just being too loud. And then we got shush, and Josh's cousin was like, dude, that's like, she's in the front beats, man. <laughs> and we were like, no, we don't care. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed about it, but yeah. But no. yeah, so there was, there was a lot of bands, like I went to Hackford High School where there was like a radio station and there were a lot of bands that had shows there and stuff like that. So it was like a really cool place to grow up in that sense. And I didn't really start going to shows in the city until a little bit later. And I never went to like big rock concerts or anything like that. Well, Andy, we got to do a part two because yeah. this is just the start. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, I got a lot of people come up here. I know, I'm I wanna, sorry. No, I want to talk to you for hours. Like this is like... I felt I forgot that we were on stage for a moment there. And I, Me too. I thought I was just Isn't in your house. Wait, that's the opposite of what we should be doing, right? Oh, shit, we should be just totally remembering. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, but well, we became punk again. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Damien. Hey, thank and you. Thanks, Johnny Brenda's, and uh, thanks everyone. Wait, that's my job to thank the menu. You're well, like, I'm gracious. I would be gracious too. Okay. Well, Andy, this is fucking awesome. Part two coming soon. All right. Love you, buddy. Chris, we can just pause this one. We'll go back for another one because we got we got guests, and I'm realizing time is of the essence right now. When I say time is of the essence, I mean in the sense that I got to interview someone who, like, you get to a point when you've been going to shows for a long time, and very little can impress you. Very little is is left that can make you open your eyes and be like, wow, there is still stuff out there that can blow my mind. So my next guest. Totally blew my mind this summer when I got to see his band eat the turnbuckle. Then I realized it was someone from Bad Luck 13 Ride Extravaganza. Welcome to the stage, Jason Goldberg! All right. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a, this is a thrill for me because, yeah, like obviously, I never got to see Bad Luck. I imagine you guys would have had a hard time crossing the Canadian border. Yeah, we're not allowed in Canada, any of the bands, actually. Any of the bands, right? <laughs> so, well, I'm glad I got to come down to Townsend, Delaware, and witness Eat the Turnbuckle live. Yeah, that it's Tournament of Death. An like, an unbelievable performance. And then it's like, I got back, and I just became obsessed with seeing more of your videos, and you guys do it, like, every night. Like, yeah, every... <laughs> we, we go at it, you know? It's like, well, Schlack is now in CZW, the guitar player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> But um, yeah, we go on tour, we do the whole deathmatch wrestling gig, you know, you know, we'll do it like 20 nights in a row. And it's, uh, 
incredible. Yeah. Well, it hurts. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get to that part. <laughs> There's so much stuff I gotta talk to you about because uh, you know, oh, I got I got so many things I want to talk to you about. But I want to start off with the first question, which starts them all off. Which is, how'd you get in punk, Jay? Do you remember the first time you ever heard it? Yeah, I would fall in the skateboarding category. Okay. Yeah. Were you good at it, or were you like I was a terrible skateboarder? Okay. And uh, my whole life was hanging out at you know people's backyard ramps and stuff. And then I uh, started you know reading Thrasher magazine. I'm looking through, and I saw a picture of the the drunk engines and septic death. And I was like, you know, what is this? And yeah. I was listening to a lot of like dead milk men, like local stuff at the time. Then, uh, Where'd you hear the Dead Milkman? Like, was it just on the radio? Or was people, it? you know, everyone had their boom boxes yeah. and we would just listen to whatever the older kids were listening to at the time. It was, you know, I'm like 10 years old and this band's saying fuck and I think it's the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, you know. See, you lucked out. When I got into bands just because of the swearing, it was Adam Sandler with I'm an asshole. Well, no, it was Dennis Leary with I'm an asshole. Yeah, so yeah. you win with Dead Milkman. Mm -hmm. So I guess you see these bands in the magazine. Where does it go from there? Uh, well, I guess it was, uh, my mom was cool enough where I would, you know, I would see like, uh, you know, people had flyers and stuff, so my, the first time I went to a show was at, it was a Dead Milkman at the Trocadero, and it was like, uh, Ruin Electric Love Muffin FOD, all the bands, and the, the guy earlier on the phone was talking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when he was rattling them off, I unfortunately know most of those bands. <laughs> Well, that's a, like that, that's a, that's an amazing show, and like you know, you're really you know, with the exception of a couple bands, kind of hitting all of the first wave of great Philadelphia, like hardcore kind of punk punk hardcore yeah. kind of era. What were the bands that were kind of speaking to you most out of the scene at the time? Well, at that time, you know, you go to that show and then you get flyers for a million yeah. other things, and then it's like, then there was a place. I'm from Delco, which is right south of here. And there was a place, Pulsations, at the time that had like. Metal Mondays, you know, <laughs> but it was like, uh, you know, I was into skate rock, so I went to go see Gang Green there, and uh, it was, Gang Green ended up not showing up, but the, the bands that did play, it was the Crow Mags, Age of Quarrel Tour, and the Ludacrist, and that's when I was like, saw the Crow Mags, and I was like, well, what is this, you know? <laughs> I was also fascinated with tattoos at the time. Yeah. So I was like, anyone with tattoos, I was like, well, wow, that's the best band in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and there were definitely some sick tattoos in the Chrome yeah. at that point. So I guess you see the Chrome mags. Are you like then, because I guess, did you, when did you see Why Die? Like, did you see them around that time point too? Why Die, unfortunately, at that time was already Done. gone. Yeah. Like, and they were doing a Wolf's Blood, okay. who I saw. But, you know, through, I did a lot of tape trading. They would have these, like, little tiny, like, record conventions, you know, that everyone would tape, you know, have like live bootleg stuff basically that we'd all trade back and forth. And so and so what are the bands that you're kind of getting into at this point? Are you like going to shows on a regular basis? I was, yeah, I was hooked. I was every week, you know. And so when did you start like deciding you wanted to do music? Took I mean, I always, at that point I decided I wanted to do it. It was just, I tried, I uh, bought a drum set and I tried playing drums and I was terrible. So it's like actually the first like tape I was ever on, I was the drummer. So. What band? It was uh, a band called Spermicide. Whoa. <laughs> what did it sound like? What was the vibe? That was it was terrible. It was a high school band. <laughs> but, uh, so where'd you go from uh, Spermicide? Then I, well, after, you know, tape trading and these things, they would have these, these videos set up so you could check out the bootlegs before you bought them, like videos, mm -hmm. you know. And then I walked by a guy playing a 
a Gigi Allen video, and I'm like, well, what the hell is that? You know? I was probably, you know, 14 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I started getting into like weirder and, and you know, and sicker stuff, and that's when I was like, well, you know, I was on the path of listening to all this weird underground music, I guess. So when was did you, when was the first time you saw Gigi live? I, I well. I was 18 and he had just gotten out of prison and it was like the first show that he had ever played that was under 21 at the time and I and I was like oh it's 18 I can go you know and it was uh you know everyone was rumored he was going to kill himself at that show yeah. so everyone's like oh he's going to he's going to take out a gun and start shooting the crowd and then he's going to kill himself and we're all like you know on edge and psyched and what record is that on? Is that that was his last, the last, last yeah, yeah the last the, thing. Yeah, it was probably ninety three. I think it was his last tour. Yeah. So I guess like at that point, are, do you want to do something like that? Yeah. Like, at that point, I was like, I was already listening to Guar and all, you know, and yeah. everything. I was like, it was so scary being there, and it was just like, but it was exciting at the same time. It's like I don't, you know, half the place left. And, I was like, I don't want to leave, but I don't want to die, but I'm scared, but it's awesome. Where did you, I think that my question I always have for people that go and see Gigi Allen is like, where did you stand? I stood in the back at first, but it took him about five seconds before he was, you know, in the back. It was at Fast Lanes in Asbury Park. No safe place in that. No, he jumped behind the bar, he's throwing bottles from behind the bar at people. Complete chaos. You know. <laughs> do, do you see anti scene? Uh, when do you see? Do you see anti scene? Oh uh, yeah, I see. The, yeah, I, go and, to see I guess Rancid Vat. Were they here about that point? Yeah. Or? Now that's that's another thing. Is Howie from Rancid Vat? Yeah. That was at a young age. That was you know I started through the tattoo scene. I started hanging out with him all the time. So that was like he introduced me. Him and Eric Perfect introduced me to like everything pretty much. You know. Yeah. He would drag me to all the ECW and all the weird underground shows. There's Philly had a lot of weird wrestling shows that would happen in like, like, a, like places that I don't even know what they were. You know? Well, I guess that's like the next question because like the you know, Ethan Turnbuckle wrestling is so and badly too, but like it's so key to the for the band. When did you first get into wrestling? Uh, right I mean, yeah, I, I was into it my whole life growing up. Yeah, what was like the what, like what was the first ECW? What was the first extreme wrestling thing you saw? It was the ECW. And like when I found out about that. Because it came on some cable access show, and as soon as I found out that it was in Philly, we were there all the time. Was it still Eastern Championship Wrestling, or was it? It was ECW. It was, it was in the arena down there. Okay. Yeah. So, I, and like, like, how did Bad Luck kind of come together? I was in a band before that that kind of had like the same gimmicks and stuff, but we, uh, I mean, we were always trying to just do a wrestling gimmick. Honestly, it just didn't. Come, <laughs> bad Luck it didn't come across that way. And it, <laughs> Came across it's, terrifying. Yeah, it started wrestling. getting like the crowd fighting and stuff, and you know. So when we did eat the turnbuckle, it kind of—it's all what I was always trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I there's a bad luck show that I, three or four people have told me to ask you about that you guys played one time at a metal venue in Virginia. Mm -hmm. That was everyone says it's the craziest show that ever happened in Virginia. Do you remember playing that show, or what are your memories on it? I remember that show. Uh, the people started like you know fights started breaking out and the people started trashing the place and uh and it they tried arresting me and, and uh and the guitar player dave and it, 
in the middle of uh, like of our hands on the car and everything, the sound man is yelling at us like, because we honestly, all we did was play. It's not like yeah. we, you know, uh, the owner was trying to say I assaulted him even because I guess I was easily recognizable to him. He's like, that's the guy. You know? it's like, yeah. But, uh, you know, honestly, we were doing a bunch of blow with the guy backstage earlier. So I was like, that guy's coked out of his head. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And then, and then he, he starts freaking out and has a seizure. <laughs> and then the, the police run over to help him. And I was like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, so we, we just hightailed it right into D.C. Because we were near the border. And I was, you know, I was like, but then they... <laughs> My, my my good friend at the time he was booking us and they you know like they, the police were calling him trying to get our names and stuff he's like they don't give me their names. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a show that bad or or the turnbuckle is playing where you're like this is too crazy? Um, th- to me it's just kind of it's it's kind of usual yeah yeah. Like, yeah. But is there ever like is there ever a point where you're like this one might have gone too far? Uh, we. Yeah, we, we played um, in FDR Park not too long back, and yes. this, uh, this kid got hit in the face with a, with a brick, and, it, and I thought he was dead, and I was just like, oh, this, is, this isn't good. Because <laughs> <laughs> people just start hurling stuff at him. Oh, you know, my, was, a yeah, brick? Yeah, but he was out for like, you know, a long time, well, like longer than with, usual. He got hit in the face with a brick? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, this, you know, we're done. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I've also been told to ask you that you are also the voice of Sailor Jerry's. Is that I true? I was at you one were? time, yeah. You were? <laughs> yeah. How did that get come about? Oh, but the, you know, my sexy radio voice. Oh, you've got a great voice, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I don't know how that gets, it's just luck that yeah. fell <laughs> So I was, I was, yeah, I was getting paid to do voiceovers for all their commercials and stuff. Are there any... Uh, are there any bands that you've played with at any point that had no idea what they were getting into and you guys are just like you just watch oh, for every show back like, <laughs> in like yeah in the 90s and, you know it's like no one knew what they were getting into you know <laughs> it's funny because like i think if you if you knew about bad luck 13 you knew exactly what was going to happen but if you didn't i never got to see you guys live but my experience with you was entirely through video or like through uh, uh, verbal accounts of shows and sort of the legend. It was, yeah, it's only like whispered down the lane types. Yeah, but. You know what I mean? It's like we, we, we tour, we do real tours, and we'd be perfectly fine, you know? Like we, but it was just like a certain couple shows when, you know, the word would get out, and then people would think, oh, I'm gonna go there and break everything. <laughs> Jay, I wanna talk to you all night. I wanna talk to you more about wrestling. Um, but I guess I, I gotta, I gotta, move on and, and get to this amazing array of other guests too, not just your amazing self. But I kind of wanted to end it with what would be to you the ultimate stage act that uh, you could pull off? Like as far as like an extreme event on stage, what you was like the, the, the Ethan Turnbuckle uh, finishing move as it were? We, well, we just played uh, this summer at uh, Obscene Extreme, okay. and, check, and the guy, um, the promoter, put a ring on stage for us and <laughs> did a full-on you know, death match while we were playing. That was, that, to me, that's the ultimate. It's like yeah. whenever we're wrestling and stuff, it's, you know. Have you ever tried like actual wrestling? Have you ever trained at all? I did. I wrestled a couple of times, yeah. What, 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 just local things or? Yeah, I, I, I wrestled the Sandman once. That was my, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, what happened is, uh, you know, uh, Hunter Techno Destructo from Guar. Yeah. He lived in Philly for a long time, right? And he, he was when he was out of Guar, he was, you know, he still had all the costumes and stuff. And my friend was a wrestling promoter, and he's like, dude, we should do a, a bad luck versus Guar, and we'll dress people up in the costumes. So he basically sent a couple of us, you know, Hunter, me, and a couple other guys to wrestling school for two and a half months to, so we could do this match. You know? It was actually turned out pretty, he learned how to do a moonsault. It was crazy. You know, it was like, you know, we did like a, a Guar versus Bad Luck death match at the Kahunaville in Delaware. <laughs> Who was Sandman? Uh, it was with Sandman? One of no, them? this oh, turned into when we were, you know, back at the show during his match, he's like, okay, well, this will happen, and then you come running out, and then I'm like, okay, you know, like, just going with it. Was that like, I guess as a wrestling fan, is that like the... the that was like, awesome. That's like, kendo the... stick in the face, and bleeding everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Well, Jay, thank that's you. That's the highlight. Yeah. That, is a, that to me is like, that's a bucket list moment. Yeah. Like, the Sandman is a Philadelphia god. Well, thank you, Jay, so much for Thanks doing for having this, me, man, dude. Thank you. Jason Goldberg! Okay, how are we doing for time, Chris? All right, Chris. How was that, buddy? That was so fun. It's funny because, like, like, you have to see the turnbuckle. Like I've seen, I've seen footage. I haven't seen it in person. Yeah, but in person, it's like it's like it's like Tournament of Death. You can see Tournament of Death yeah. on all the are like every video that you want. But seeing it live is a different experience. Ethan Turnbuckle live when you you can smell the fire and you can you can smell the blood and see the blood yeah. in, in full. You didn't life. discuss the fur. What's this guy doing? First Bad Luck uh, EP is incredible. Oh, I think oh, absolutely incredible. incredible. Uh, big fan of it. Um, yeah, uh, I have not seen Eat the Turnbuckle. I've seen footage. I'm terrified. Uh, I was terrified of bad luck too, actually. I probably would not. No, I probably would have gone see Oh my god, it would be. I'd gone to see Haymaker. I probably would have gone. But yeah. What is the craziest live band you've ever seen? Hmm. Probably Haymaker. But um, I'm just trying to think of. Yeah, probably. I haven't seen too many crazy bands. I mean, I've seen shows that have gone a little while, but no, nothing. Nothing that comes to mind other than the obvious. What is the gnarliest thing you've been hit in the face with at a show? I don't know if I ever have. Uh, I, I can't think of anything. Not a wrestling, like, not. Hey, not even wrestling. I got no, hit I mean, in the face like, at stuff at shows, not wrestling. Uh, no, nothing. Nothing I can think of, honestly. Oh, Chris? I got, I've been punched in the face. Yeah. Like, by accident, like, not like people hate, like, just accidentally in, like, a. a a gang up style where like people are yelling and fucking fist punching and shit. But uh, no, never, never projectiles that I'm aware of. Anything uh, from Andy's podcast? Jump yeah, uh, I actually looked up that little gentleman. I was curious about the uh, that signal he was talking about, and it's from '83. If my phone will work, um, and it's on B. I had it called up here. BTCP Records from '83. This is kind of the nerdy stuff I do for people who aren't familiar. So anyone wants to look up the record, I'm curious to hear, it is called Suicide Notes. And there's three tracks on it. General Hospital, Rent, 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 and I Am The Gun. Is it a really expensive one? Uh, it is not. Median price. Get digging. $11.25. Get digging. Well, Chris, come back at the end of the show. we got two more people to talk to. And uh, 
this is, this is, I'm having the best time. So thank you, Chris. All right. I'll see you in a minute. Next up, I want to welcome... Give him the applause if you want. Yeah, you <laughs> I want to welcome to the stage someone that changed the face of hardcore punk music in a major way. Someone that I was starstruck the first time I met him. And someone I got to scream along to no effects playing all of Punk and Drublick live with. Dan Yemen from Lifetime, from Faded Black, from Kid Dynamite, from Friendship. Marmalite. Where, where are you, Dan? Come on this day. Oh, you want the music. <laughs> How are you doing? How are the kids? The kids are awesome. The kids are This is... You know, Jay Goldberg comes on the stage, one of the most uh, un uncontrollable live forces, doesn't trash anything. Dan Neiman comes on stage, kicks over the fucking microphone. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not scary, but I am really uncoordinated. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, I want to talk about your coordination a lot, but uh -oh. there's a lot I got to get to. It's going to be one of them. Oh, it's going to be all about coordination instead. Yeah. But I want to talk about, first, the way I start all these things off, which is, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. Um, I was in a band in, uh, in middle school, or it was junior high school, we called it, and um, it was a corny band called Double Exposure. It was funny. And we played like... What do you sound like? Oh, we played covers. <laughs> I, was, I was 13. Okay. Was like, we played Cars covers, and... Rolling Stones covers, and we actually covered Red Barchetta. Red Barchetta. We our hats off to Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we played a battle of the bands with some other dudes that I sort of knew. Um, and they were in a band, they were on the other side of the gymnasium, and they all had cool older brothers. And they kicked our ass, and they were all playing this stuff, and I was like, what is this stuff they're playing? And they were playing Clash and Jam songs, which, you know, like in eighth grade was like, Oh, that's mind-blowing. Cool beyond recognition. And, uh, so I kind of investigated that. And, uh, and then I, I just like, kind of started talking to them more about music. And they were all like, got to go to sh crazy shows in New York with their older brothers and stuff. And, um, and then I found college radio, which for me was like really formative. It was like uh, Rutgers. Has, I lived in North Jersey, like, like 40 minutes outside of New York City. And, Rutgers University had a, a radio station, and I don't think it exists anymore, but Staten Island College had a station called WSIA that you could kind of get sometimes. So I'd listen to stuff, and then I would come home after school and like, put a cassette in the, I'd tune in to like, whatever, and put a cassette in, 120 minute cassette, and just like, hit record and go play and stuff, and then come back and be like, listen and like really like, wait for the DJ to come back on and name the last 10 songs he played. I'd be scribbling like frantically. What are some of the bands that you heard on that thing that really kind of jumped out at you? Oh, I got this one, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Minor Threat, definitely. Sob Story was on one of those first tapes. That's awesome. So like, boo fucking who. Like the sarcasm mixed with the intensity. I was like, yeah, this is like, this is... You know, it's like you're wandering around like a, like a weirdo in like a foreign country and like 
trying to figure out like how to ask for a pizza and where the bathroom is, and then like finally you run into somebody that speaks your language. Yeah. And you're like, oh my god! You fall to your knees and hug their legs and stuff like that. That's what it felt like when I heard Minor Threat. There's like a live version of Institutionalized that was on one of those tapes. They were all like, it was diverse. So they also be playing like Elvis Costello and the Attractions and like Psychedelic Furs from like Talk 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 maybe. And then um, is this one show or are you just taping like a no, bunch of different shows? A bunch of different shows, yeah. but that stuff would be on the same show. Oh wow! So, yeah. You know, people weren't so genre bound. I yeah. guess like any all that stuff was considered weirdo music. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it wasn't codified yet. No, uh, the weirdest, the first who's could do song was their weirdest song. It was like shocked to find out that all their songs didn't find like some, uh, that song Diane about that game. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the first songs. And then like Squirrel Bait, Black Flag, Circle Jerks. Oh, this is a big one. Uh, Kiss Me Deadly from the Generation X. Generation X, yeah. And that song was like, I was so in love with that. I was obsessed with that song. So where'd you kind of go from there? Like you're 14, you, are you able to go to shows? Is there anything kind of happening around you? Like, no, not that I knew. I mean, there was, yeah. but not that I knew about. I would just go to the record store in our town that would like, you know, have like mostly mainstream stuff, but they also had like a, a punk section. And the so, import section? Yeah, like so I got like Misfits record, Minor, Out of Step, both Minor Thread records there. Um, yeah, they had like a lot of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I like, became pretty obsessed pretty quickly, but at the same time, like hearing like British stuff like early Cure and the Smiths and stuff like that, um, Elvis Costello definitely, so like digging into that stuff as well, Echo of the Bunnymen. One of my friends went to see Echo of the Bunnymen with his, at like the wetlands with his big brother and was came back talking about how amazing it was. He's like, they had like a, like a xylophone player and a violin player, and I was like, cool, I bought this record that, it was pretty, I don't know, yeah, a lot of stuff. I <laughs> just like stuff. bought everything I could get my hands on or anything that looked weird. Yeah. Um, and then in, when I was 16, uh, one of my friends, his older brother was a skinhead, and we went with him into New York City. This is my first like, show. Yeah. And it was a, a Rock Against Racism benefit, and it was, get this, I'm gonna go from low to high. It's Cause for Alarm, Reagan Youth, and Roxanne Chante. What? <laughs> what a show! Yeah. Was it out? Where was the show? It I ruined my life. That's like, an amazing. I'm still. I'm a grown man with children, and I'm still playing stupid music like every day. But what? Life. How did that bill get put together? Like Rock it's awesome. New York City. Like this is the decayed New York City of 1984. Yeah. That, like, like had declared actually had declared bankruptcy like a few years before, the whole city. Mm -hmm. That's how fucked up New York was in the early 80s. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, I had this photo of like, in the middle of the West Side Highway, a rusted out, burned out automobile sideways in the middle of the West Side Highway. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's funny, because we're talking about this on the drive here now, it's like, New York City, like, from you know the 80s till now is like a hundred like every city's changed every place changes but like that place it's like a different world yeah. from like I didn't go to it much later but seeing mm -hmm. footage obviously from that time period yeah. so I guess like from those bands you're kind of like your life's wrecked at this point Reagan youth fucked me up yeah like I was just becoming like politicized not like a radical like but like 
paying attention to the news and like how fucked up Reagan was and like Reagan's intervention, like crypto war against the Soviets by like fucking up Central America and like overthrowing democratically elected governments to like subvert socialism and like just like really shit that seemed to me so obviously evil mm-hmm. and I'm reading about this stuff and like I had a pretty pro- like pretty progressive history teacher and then I'm seeing Reagan youth and the guys like marching back and forth this crazy man is marching back and forth across the stage you have Reagan youth Reagan youth sing Heil sing Heil and I'm like what fuck is happening? Yeah. This is the best thing ever. Did that weird you out? Because, like, I guess, did you know about the uh, the playful use of World War II imagery that was happening in punk rock at that time? I didn't know anything. Did that, like, did that, did that freak you out, seeing someone on stage saying Sig Heil, walking back and forth? Uh, I mean, I, I had an appreciation for the, the irony. The irony, okay. That's what I was trying to get at, I guess. Did you recognize the irony at that point? What was the audience like at that show? Because Scary. Yeah. <laughs> I'd see, like, I was way in back, but, like, skinheads would be coming out, like, with blood coming out of their face and, like, eyes popping, like, hanging eyeballs and stuff, like, scary. Oh, God. I was, like, far from that. Yeah. So, I guess you kind of come back, changed, or... or yeah, it's like, oh, because, okay, here's the thing, so Punk is listening to the radio and getting the, whatever records I can get, but it was all this, like... All those bands had broken up or were like big touring bands. And so this is my first understanding like punk was a thing that was happening in the present mm-hmm. at like a local and intimate level. Mm-hmm. And so that was really like, oh. Had you been to other like big rock concerts before that? Yeah. Well, my first rock concert was Blue Oyster Cult and Foghat. Whoa. At the Madison Square Garden. And the singer from Blue Oyster Cult during their cover of Born to be Wild, drove his Harley out on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first exposure to live rock. Sick show. Sick. <laughs> so now you understand that this is happening in the now, and it's happening in the present. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you at this point trying to find other bands that are doing this? And... Um, at this point, no, it's just like, I still was, my folks were raised in the city, like raised in the Bronx, so they were always like, you can go in the city and like go to museums and stuff like that. But I, I had no other punk friends that were like going to shows, so I wasn't gonna go see stuff. And also like, pre-internet, the access to information was like, if you weren't like a down hardcore kid, you had to like buy the Village Voice and like go to the back and look at the ad for CBGBs to like know about stuff. And, like, I, you couldn't even get the Village Voice in my town. So. Yeah. I, I'm amazed that we had a record store where I could get this world EP. <laughs> yeah. You can get the Village Voice without going to the Village. So I didn't know about anything. I saw like, I was content to see stuff at Rutgers University that was like quasi-punk, like the first Alarm tour, like when yeah. they toured on their EP. Like, it's, know, got, it's definitely more punky on that EP than the yeah, yeah, they're like, on. Yeah. Big hair and they had acoustic guitars with that they had like bolted Les Paul pickups into, and everything was kind of, and just the drummers had a snare drum, and that was it, and it was kind of cool. And like, I saw Violent Femmes on the first album tour, Air Rutgers also. I fucking love the Violent Femmes. That yeah, record is awesome. And that show was kind of insane, because like, I was standing up front, and just like, probably at that show, like a thousand people, but the drummer's drum set was made out of like pots and pans, like in wash basins, and the bass player was a Krishna with a shaved head and wearing a sheet, and a, 
and playing like a bass that was like an acoustic guitar bass yeah. here or something. Yeah. And I, um, I was also really into Rush, so I bought a bass. Canada. Yeah, Canada. I bought a bass to learn the solo from Free Will. It's a hard solo. Yeah. <laughs> I was a lot better then. I was more, more musical and more coordinated. Were you like a prog fan? Like, were you uh, I had before? a lot of Yes records. Okay. So, yeah. Say no more. I, I didn't get deep into anything. Yeah. But I had Yes records and Rush records. Okay. So, so I had all the records where the one song took up one side of an album. <laughs> I know those types of records yeah. now, very intimately. From Canada, <laughs> from where Canada. people got paid a government stipend to make records like that that sold seven copies. I wish. It's like utopia. It's, it is a utopia of, <laughs> of dystopia. Yeah, it's like that a, too. But we had Rob Ford, so mm-hmm. we've yeah. uh, we it's not all it's yeah. not all. Uh, I was young, so it seemed like utopia. It seems like utopia. Can you tell? Granted, the East Village seemed like utopia, but like scary Max Mad Max utopia. <laughs> Fury Road, yeah. heaven. Um, so you're you kind of at this point are are you able to when do you kind of first enter the scene? Enter the scene. What is that? Well, like, I mean, like, on your terms. Well, I mean, like, where you're like, at, when you, when I say enter the scene, I mean, like, you're you're obviously a fan of this music mm-hmm. by this point. Indeed. But you know, there's a there's a level of active participation that can go from just going to a show or or you know buying a seven inch directly from a band to like yeah. playing music, starting a scene. Yeah, I did start when I was like 18. So I went to college in Michigan. I was in Ann Arbor, and uh, this is like no hardcore scene in Ann Arbor, but Ann Arbor had you know like. Detroit, was, they were like reeling from like the necros and negative approach. Mm-hmm. But at this point, if you want to describe Ann Arbor, the, 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 the year I moved there, uh, Laughing Hyenas had just put out their f- first record. Mm-hmm. And so they opened every show. And there was this venue called The Blind Pig where like, so uh, Ann Arbor, everybody was into like, what would become the Seattle sound. So people were into like Green River mm. and like, oh shit, there's this new band Mud Honey. And like, like the proto grunge. Yeah, but also, thankfully, like, so the, the Blind Pig was like the size of this place, but the stage was only this high. And um, I saw Sonic Youth there like twice. I saw the Circle Jerks there my first week of college. What was that, that show like? Fucking not. <laughs> what do you think? It's every time you talk to someone, they're like, they're always like, yeah, like shows were awesome. Well, except for that one Circle Jerk show, because that was. No, they were great. It was amazing. Well, I mean, like, but like the crowd would have been dumb. Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, they brought out a, a different crowd than a lot of the other bands of that era were bringing out. But so I saw Sonic Youth all these times. I saw Dinosaur Junior before they had to add the Junior. Um, there's a lot of really good all the all the Seattle bands that would become like the they all came through like a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of like straight up hardcore, I got to see Poison Idea there, and uh, and the um, is it Discontented the seven inch? Yeah, yeah. When that came out, what? Yeah, that's like the best Poison Idea song. Yeah, it is. They were great. They're amazing. Yeah, because I saw I, at this point I saw some bands, but nobody that blazing. Yeah. Like, and so I was, I, that was one of those where I was just like, uh, uh, yeah. Um, but you, you do start playing in bands at, uh, what, what, were you playing in bands in college later. at all? Or? I was playing guitar, but like just, I tried to put a band together and I couldn't find a single human in Ann Arbor that won't, even though the state seven-ish came out of Ann Arbor, 
I couldn't find a single human that wanted to play fast. Like, yeah, not a single human. Everybody was like, ah, like the butthole surfers or like Green River. And like, I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I did join a band of kids. There were some kids from a suburb of Detroit that I met at the, right at the beginning. They were in a band called Cancer. Okay. And all of them had gone to Michigan except their bass player. And I had a bass, so I joined Cancer. That's not the metal band Cancer. No, no, no. It's like did, this band. Band. did this band record at all? Not anything that you would you could find. They had all they like did a lot of four track stuff. So yeah. they had I had to learn like forty songs that were so cool. But did you think that the uh, the guitar player, my friend Ed, transferred to New York and was in um, Versus and Flower? Oh yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, New like New York bands that I like a lot. Um, so cancer happened for like a year and didn't really like not they were moving all they were all like young young punk kids that were getting into more melodic stuff and i was like getting into more i like i wanted screaming and they were like no we're kind of singing now so what were the bands that like the speed and the screaming that you were really identifying with at this point because like, like, poison idea i guess would have been one of them poison idea was like new to me yeah um, like minor threat was like the be all and end all still yeah. still um negative approach but really like I could listen to Minor Threat and repeat. Uh, I discovered Naked Raygun there, mm -hmm. like early, like at 18. Like, there's this like kid I met who turned out to be like a Republican, who had all these like lyrics from Naked Raygun that he swore like supported his ideology. <laughs> like, and I was like, nah, man. <laughs> like, I think he might be interpreting this differently than I. Like, I think like I think like the irony might be lost on you. <laughs> See, good thing he didn't see Reagan youth. Yeah. He wouldn't have gotten it. Freaked out. He would we get in arguments about he'd be like, the death penalty is obviously like a deterrent. I'm like, you seen this like the murder statistics at all? Like, like do you read books and stuff? Because like you're at this like good school, but it seems to me that you don't know anything about the world except like repeating your dad's politics, which come to find out is how most people process reality, but at the time, I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Shocked. Well, Dan, I gotta, there's like, I want, this is gonna be a six hour one. Yeah, you wanna accelerate this? Tell me what. No, uh, no, because I wanna get to this, oh. this the debate thing that I wanted oh, to talk to you about. I will tell you, the, the first summer home yeah. from school. Yeah, please. That's when I met other kids that wanted to go to shows. And so City Gardens in Trenton was like, I went there like, I probably like saw 100 shows there in the, the, between 18 and 22. Just like all summer, mm -hmm. everything. Like, and everyone played there. Bad Rams, Agnostic Front, SNFU, all. Uh, oh, I saw Dag Nasty. Like, that was my favorite band. Then I moved into that being my favorite band. So, like, 1922, like, Dag Nasty was my favorite band. So, is that where melody comes in for you? Like, melodic yeah, hardcore? Yeah. That's, that's from the Dag Nasty yeah. influence. I've always. I've and Husker Du. And Husker Du, I have to, yeah. So, I, I don't mean to speed this along, but so I definitely do, there's this go there's this theory that has uh, that well it's not this theory my theory that I keep bringing up on this show. I like that you tried to give it some. Like, I know I tried to be like I read it in this book, uh, this famous book by a famous author once. No, but it's just you on the toilet like formulating <laughs> shit. But it was, really formulating shit, literally. Let's see what it did. <laughs> so this thing about lifetime is. I promised myself that if you talked about weed, I was going to walk off. So I didn't talk about it. I just did it. <laughs> it's decriminalized in Philly, you know. 
Well, yeah, but sorry, you didn't get any. I didn't get any. Sucks for you. Sucks for me. Stop talking about weed, Dan, or I'm going to walk off the stage. That's what I promised myself. <laughs> no. Go ahead. No. No, I got to talk about this theory. So, Hello Bastards comes out, right? Mm -hmm. And that record, it changed hardcore. It changed, like, especially where I was from, because that's when every, not every hardcore band, but a lot of them decided that, like, yo, let's, let's be super melodic now. Let's be, like, let's try and be Lifetime. Like, it got... Because, like, if it really impacted people that much, they would have come to see us play. Well, that's the thing, is, like, you guys... <laughs> I was there at the AFI riot show, Dan. That was funny. Dude, we gotta talk, oh my. We'll get into that, but go, oh. with your, go with your theory. Okay, with my theory. So when that record comes out, like it got, you guys broke up, you know, New Jersey's Best Answers comes out, you're gone. But that's when everything, like it got so, saves the day, the whole gimmick in the beginning was, dude, there's this band that sounds just like Lifetime, and Lifetime's not here, so you just go see Saves the Day now. That wasn't lost on me. I know. <laughs> And then in the same way, like, you know, around the same time Shape of Punk to Come comes out and all these bands that are playing, you know, melodic pop punk type stuff are like, oh, we're going to be a hardcore band now. But mm -hmm. like, I didn't realize that Refuse did that for pop punk bands. It, well, I mean, they were a game changer, but I didn't realize that like, oh, yeah. like Screeching Weasel kids were like, oh, now we're going to play heavy. So, well, when Chris comes back up here, we can talk about the influence in Southern Ontario of that record on, on the pop punk scene. Where's that? Southern Ontario? Canada, Canada, where Rush is from, the great land of Rush. <laughs> well, what's your take on that theory, Tan? Tell me about your band. How do you change hardcore forever? We are just like writing down. I mean, we're always. I don't think we change hardcore forever. Um, no, I, well, I think like minor threat change hardcore. We were trying to always like make this, um, find this sweet spot between melody and aggression. And like, I don't even know what we were doing, you know? I was like trying to figure out if I could rip off like Burn and stuff. <laughs> and like, some, and they somehow was there a way I could rip off Burn and Verbal Assault and Dag Nasty at the same time. And like, Ari had never sung before, he was a drummer. And, but he was really into like, he, has the cool, he had the coolest record collection of anybody, like in terms of diversity at the time. Mm -hmm. Just like people, every straight edge kid just had like heavy, you know, like tough shit. And, like, he was like, listen to this Donkey Style record, listen to this like Doughboys record. Also, like, let's mosh to AF in my bedroom, you know, like. So, um, we were just trying, we didn't know what we were doing, and like, <clears throat> I didn't know how to write to his strengths. So we were just missing each other, like doing our best. And, and then uh, Dave Pilatus joined the band. He was like a really good musician. And he, he did that Tinnitus record that we put out ourselves, and that was kind of the bridge. Mm -hmm. Oh, we can we like. I remember like writing this song and like coming to practice late and like walking up the driveway and hearing them there it started with Ari. <laughs> and hearing Ari sing this hook from Star 69. God, like this is what this is what I've been trying to do. Like we've been trying to do for like forty years, and like it's like it clicked. like a New Jersey version of like Dag Nasty, except like you know, like I don't know, some I don't know. Your own take on it, yeah. Clicked. Yeah, and like Hello Masters was like I don't know, just like we just got there. And, 
We recorded that record in three days. Wow. And it was fun. And like, I don't know, I don't know if anyone's gonna like it. Well, we touched on it briefly, mm -hmm. and I want to have you on for like two hours. We gotta do this another time over the phone or something. But we have to talk about the AFI riot before I let you go. Okay. The AFI riot, if you've never listened to the episodes with Davey Havoc or any of the stuff on Turn Out of Punk, is where AFI played uh, a show in Toronto with Weston, mm -hmm. Lifetime, Trigger Happy, Good and, Riddance. and Good Riddance. And Nick Knight was supposed to play. Till? No, Till didn't play. Till didn't play? No. There was like this fat record store that we overlapped with for like a few days. Like, I had a, I'm sorry, I have to ask. Canada, I wanted to really ask you this like, in front of people to embarrass you. Yeah. What the fuck is up with Canada and fat records? Like, <laughs> you would have thought, you would have yeah. thought that no effects was the germs yeah. in, in, in Eastern Canada. We like, fucking loved them. Like, what are you guys doing? Well, here's what happened. <laughs> Quebec, you know. Where did you go astray? Well, Toronto, because we're so close to Quebec, we got some of the radiated love for no effects and that- You're gonna blame the French. Well, that's the Canadian way, isn't it? <laughs> that's what you do in my country. I'm familiar with scheduling, I remember the, the Holocaust. <laughs> no. But the thing is, uh, with, with no effects in Quebec, that was, that's like the, the Beatles of Quebec, you know? Yeah. They love wacky, Again, you're blaming the French. Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm trying to articulate to yourself how this happens. Okay. Because they love wacky stuff in Quebec. Are you familiar with Just for Laughs Comedy Festival that happens in Quebec every year? I'm not. Okay. I it's, don't it's, like comedy. I'm like really serious about comedy. Okay, well, I'm not saying, I'm saying, you know, like, and also, my and also wait, this guy's there. pretending like he doesn't know every fucking word to Punkin' Drublick off by heart, because I was standing beside you, we were both singing, Dad! Yeah, that's a good record. It's an amazing record. <laughs> so that's what happened to Canada. We heard Punkin' Drublick, and we were like, yep. Huh? Yep. Huh? And then we heard Drake, and we were like, yeah. <laughs> that's... This just got really sad. <laughs> it's so hard and lonely to be wealthy and successful. I wouldn't know. I'm not Drake. <laughs> That's my joke with Andy because Jake Drake just like Drake's records are just basically like it's lonely at the top times twelve. One time we played we played this show. Oh no, I was working at Much Music, this video station there, and they had this big award show. And they're like, wouldn't it be fun if you went around and got your picture taken with all these Canadian celebrities that you're not a fan of? And I'm like, yeah, it'd be kind of fun. So we're going around taking all these pictures, like Avril Lavigne, all these people. And then my, my producer's like, oh, there's Drake. Let's get a photo with Drake. So I'm like, okay, sure. So he goes up to Drake. He's like, hey, Drake, uh, you know, uh, this is Damien. He's a VJ here. Doing this thing where you're going to take photos with people. Do you want to take a photo with him? You would have thought they asked him for a kidney. He's like. <laughs> and then finally this other VJ there that his friends were like, oh, this is Damien, take, take a photo of him. He's like, oh yeah, sure. That's why it's lonely at the top, right? It's lonely. It's lonely. If once you realize that you're special, you can't be bothered. You cannot. Well. Okay, so you are special, Dan. You are one of the most wonderfully special people that I've gotten to become friends with after being such a fan of. I can't wait to have you back on this show. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you. Let's do this Dan Newman, everyone! Chris, 
We're gonna just do footnotes at the very end because we're running short on time and I gotta invite a legend to the stage. Next up, from one of the greatest hardcore bands of all time without any hyperbole, a band that uh, when I first heard them blew my mind. This is one of my favorite vocalists ever. Please welcome to the stage from Why Die, Jackal. My music didn't click. Oh, Jackal, thank you so much for being here. This is thank a, you very much. This is a thrill, man. Like, like I, I, I traded half my record collection away at one point for an Out for Blood test press. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow, yeah. That's cool. So getting to like, you know, share the stage with you again because we played together one time, but like getting to sit here and talk to you is like I really feel like this is like a bucket list moment for me. Oh, so. thanks, man. When I, when it, I was really fucked up when I saw fucked up. <laughs> and you guys fucking kick ass. So. I'm better, man. I was at the church. How long ago was that? Like eight years ago now, I think, it's right? Like eight drunken fucking fucked up drug that years ago. I didn't even know about weed back then. And now I know a lot about it. But eight dusted years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, this isn't about me and weed. But it may be about dust. It might be about the, one of the great underrated LPs of all time, Black Dust. But it's all about you, Jackal, and how you got into punk. So I want to know about the first time you ever came across the genre. Well, uh, back in when I was in high school, around like 76, 77, there was this band called Sex Pistols that was scaring the shit out of people. They were a lot different from Kiss. Kiss was kind of like, you know, you knew it was a show. You knew it was fake, fake blood. But Sex Pistols were really fucking different. They had the singer. Johnny Rotten was really fucking scary. So yeah. like this is this is something fucking, you know, different. And that's how I found out about it. So well, everyone was talking about it. I remember at the lunch break, everyone was like, here is Van Gogh, sex is all Johnny Rotten, you know, he's got green hair, he's got safety pins on his cheek, he shits on stage. Obviously he didn't do that, but it was like, you know, and you didn't see pictures, there was no internet, so you didn't see any pictures, it was all like just put in your imagination what they look like. Mm -hmm. So when was the first time you like you heard them? Like where was that? Do you remember? Was that lunch break or something? No, I didn't actually hear them. I wasn't. I was dealing. With, I was more into the anger, yeah. not really the music, because I was musically into like kind of like funkadelic kind of shit. Mm -hmm. But I liked the anger and the anti-social, you know, themes. Mm -hmm. So, so well, go on. I didn't really hear them until like a couple of years later. So was that the first punk band you heard the Sex Pistols on? No, the first punk band I heard actually, I guess, would be the Dickies. My oh wow, yeah. My older brother turned me on to them. And where was like, what? Do you remember which Dickies record or anything? The or? first one, Incredible Shrinking yeah. Dickies. And how did he get into the Dickies? I don't know. He was always into like Rocky. I, mean, I always remember growing up. He had the Alice Cooper Killer LP mm -hmm. with the snake on it. Yeah. So I get an older sibling got me, and then I kind of shit. So. Know? So I guess you hear the Dickies, and, and was it like that? When I heard the Dickies, I was like, this is fucking great, you know? And I like, I used to go to uh, Third Street Jazz, I don't know if it was like at Third and um, around Market. Okay. They would have all these like rare punk rock singles and LPs, imports, and they would have Slash Magazine. And that's how I really got into punk. I started reading about The Germs, Fear, and Servo Jerks, Black Flag, X. Yeah. And that's when I really like got really into it. And so it was like the hardcore stuff, I guess, responded to more, like the speed. Right, yeah, I like the Dickies. Dickies were a speed, but kind of like humor. Yeah. Sex Pistols was slower, but I like the anger and the aggression, you know? So, like, I guess it would have been, like, 
bands like Black Flag and like, yeah, Black Flag, uh, Circle Jerks. Well, Circle Jerks are kind of faster, but Black Black Flag definitely. Yeah. Were my like heart and soul back then. So, what was the first punk show you went to? I guess would be the Dickies if you consider that punk. I consider that. Oh, I think you have to. Consider well, the Dickies. Yeah, that'd be like 1980 in Emerald City. Okay. And the uh, opening band was this band called The Cure. I was like, eh, this band sucks. <laughs> <laughs> they still suck, but whatever. You know. <laughs> so, uh, like, after that show, were you going to shows? Was then I was addicted. Then I was like, but it was really underground back yeah. then. By, by that time, the hot club had closed. Mm -hmm. But I remember seeing um, Bauhaus. I don't know if you call them hardcore. They were really kind of cool, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And that was uh, 1980 at the um, Elk Center. They were running out of place. And then I saw X and the Go-Go's in 1980 at um, Starlight Ballroom in Kensington. So this is like, but then I finally saw the Circle Jerks, 1981, the Stranglers opened up for them. That was in Starlight Ballroom too. So I guess out of all those shows, it's probably like, you know, just actually, just judging by where you go to, it's probably the Circle Jerks and like the speed of those bands. But like, why guy has this kind of dark gothic kind of vibe to it, like or like a like a, a gothic feel of the hardcore, especially on that LP. Is that were you into the Bauhaus and like that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I was I was in the Bauhaus and I was into Venom. Yeah. Back then. So Venom yeah. was like fucking you know, Welcome to Hell came out. We were fucking. This is the shit, you know, like. Fucking, this is the best fucking band ever, you know? <laughs> and then, um, actually, in, in 81, we were into like everything. Poison Idea, Negative Approach, all the fucking killer shit. Minor Threat, Iron Cross, SOA. So how did you get into playing music? When was the first time that you, you started? Was Why Die? No, I had a band called Legion of Decency that lasted one show. You guys but, didn't record, I guess. No, we didn't record it. But I would always like put on records and fucking like, just sing, like singing like, Jump around my fucking uh, in my you know fucking room and smash up shit. I remember I was smashing my phone. I still got the scar. Listening to Circle Jerks, I went smashing blood everywhere. I was like, fucking, I love this shit, you know. So I get like from that band breaking up, he plays the one show, and you sang in that band, I assume. Right. What was the, what did that band sound like? It, it sucked. Man. Okay. I don't remember nothing about it. We'll leave it at that. Um, so how did why did I, how did why die kind of begin to come? We well the drummer. Well, actually, the, um, I knew Chuck Meehan, who knew Mike, who everybody taught him, Mike this great guitar player, and he also knew Howard from the Sadistic Exploits. Mm -hmm. So he kind of like, Chuck Meehan actually kind of coordinates all, all together. And the first time we all got to meet each other formally was at a Minor Threat show in uh, Club 930, I think it was somewhere in 1982. So it was fucking like, you know, Minor Threat was fucking unbelievable back then. Yeah. It was like the most incredible show ever. There's a video of that show, right? Uh, 82 and Club 930, probably. Oh, I'm you know? sure they're... But we all got to meet each other. It was like, a, a, we all got together. This is fucking, you know, this is a shit. Get to see Minor Threat formally meet each other. Well, you brought up sadistic exploits there. That, like, I've always been told that was the first Philadelphia hardcore band. I can't remember. I never saw them back then. Okay. But, you know, Howard was the drummer. Mm -hmm. So you guys come back from that Minor Threat show and you just begin practicing? Then we start practicing. We were so inspired by Minor Threat. And like, so it's, because there's like an anger in Why Die. That's what I, I think I found so awesome when I finally first heard Out For Blood. Uh, it was just like, I, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard it before because there's like very few records that have that, 
that rage that comes across. Yes, so we're all pretty fucked up angry people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Working class, going to a shitty fucking job, no future, it's just like uh, sex pistols. Mm -hmm. yeah. So why did I start playing? Is there like, where, where, what was your first show? First show was New Year's Eve 1983 at a loft on uh, South Street. And are you guys, what was that, who was that with, do you remember or anything? Uh, FOD, a bunch of, I can't remember the bands, but I mean, it was definitely FOD. And if you guys started recording, when did you record Out for Blood? Like, shortly thereafter, right? We did that demo probably like two months later, okay. yeah. And so, like I said, how many songs on the demo? Like, 15, 15, 16, 16 yeah. That's like a, a quick period to kind of turn around that many songs. Yeah, we were rehearsing, we were practicing, all, we were really into it. We were all like, you know, we were like 21, 22. We lived it. And so, you guys, did you guys have a big following in Philadelphia at the time? We did. Yeah. We had a pretty big following, yeah. So, you have a big show here, that crazy Minor Threat show? The best show, I think one of the best shows we ever played, we played with Minor Threat at the Great Gildersleeves in New York in 1983 with the mob. Oh, wow. And everyone was there. I mean, Ian was, you know, of course, Ian was there, but Henry was there, and fucking uh, Glenn Danzig was there, and Bad Brains were there. So it was like, you know, like, we accomplished everything we wanted to do. We played with all our peers, and we played a fucking great show. It was uh, the best. So you do kind of, like, not that... I think people, the critique that I was, is leveled against the LP is that it's oh, so different, it's so yeah. different. I don't think it's that different, but it does have, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're evolving as a band, you've got new influences coming in. What were the influences? You mentioned Venom earlier. Celtic Frost. Yeah. Where were you hearing that metal stuff at, like, at that time? Because I guess... I, I like Celtic, we like, and Mike the Guitar Bear, we like Wasp and, and Motley Crue. I mean, I like Motley Crue, but that's the kind of shit we're into, mm -hmm. you know? And we just toned the tempo down. It's still hard. Oh, know, it's, it's totally hard. hard. Yeah, absolutely. We just put the tempo, slow the tempo down a little bit. It's like, it has a dirgy quality to it. Right. In the best way I mean that. Not in like a, like a, it sounds like an insult when you say dirge sometimes. But, <laughs> but it's got. I like the Melvins and that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, like, where did, did the audience react poorly? They fucking hated this, man. They, they fucking, all those hardcore people, they were like, they had this uniform, you know, like, we, dressed up, spiked their hair out. We were more like, kind of like punkish, you know? We was more like ripped up clothes and kind of like the New York Dolls, kind of, kind of, we, we changed our whole image, you know? We went from like a hardcore thing to like, oh, I wore makeup and a fur coat and all this kind of shit. <laughs> and we were really doing a lot of drugs, doing a lot of acid, and a lot of angel dust. We were like the most anti, you know, we were the bent edge. <laughs> we were really fucked up. I mean, we played shows where like uh, we caused riots because I punched this one guy out because he was like he didn't like wasps. So I punched him in the face, and then fucking all the lawyers came up. I got arrested, you know. And then we did this one show when um, Howard, our you know Howard Saunders, a legendary, he was like giving everybody everybody acid, like tags of acid on their tongue, and fucking I smashed up all the walls. But we people, we only played from the Black Dust era from like 85 to 88, I guess it was. We only played about seven or eight shows. Oh, really? All like small parties. People fucking hated us, man. Were there any bands that you kind of felt a kinship with? Like The Obsessed, were they playing? Oh, yeah. We, we played with The Obsessed back in 84. But we couldn't get a show. They fucking didn't understand us. They hated us. And uh, that was it. We broke up. Well, I want to talk to you so much more, Jackal, but we're kind of coming towards the end. But I do want to find out about how 
you know, why die does wrap up. You started a new band kind of right after it, but how did why die? What was the end for you at that point? Well, when Mike moved away, he's one of the, the founder, leading yeah. the guitar player. He moved to Arizona in 89, but we got back together. But right now, we're working with Pure Hell. So yeah. now it's a whole new lineup, it's a whole new thing. And we played a show in DC two years ago. We opened up for Ghost Snake, and Ian McKay was there. It was a legendary uh, show. He brought it up to, like, I was, as I said, we were there today, and we were talking about why I die, and he was like, they were awesome. And he's like, I couldn't, like, I walked in, and I talked to Jack, and he's like, that's pure hell. And I was just blown away, because pure hell is like another band that is right. like horribly, horribly, horribly. Nobody even really, it's like, a, people either know about it or you don't. Yeah, and if you know about them, you know how fucking incredible they are. Right. And then, like, Vinny Stigma was the guy that told me about them when I was a little kid. He's like, pure hell, you check out this band. Yeah, they're from the 70s. Yeah. They either hang out, you hang out with the dolls. And it's like, and, and, and it's like the coolest band. Maybe it's because like, why there's that uh, terrible story about how they had their record taken by their manager and yeah, they had complications with the manager. So kind of like, so we're both our bands are on the rebound now. But we, I'm telling you, it's going to be we're we're going to, you know, bring Satan into the future. So <laughs> we're all about Satan, and death, drugs, and destruction, and rape, and murder. Oh, all the good stuff in life. <laughs> Uh, that sounds like the most destructive force to ever be unleashed in music. Um, oh, well, are you guys playing Pure Hell songs too, or just why not? Not yet, but we will. That's, are you, so you're going to tour out? Is this like a recording? We're working on new material right now. That's... One of our songs is called Drinking Blood in Mexico. It's about the Man of Morris murders in uh, Mexico. Rodolfo Costanzo. I mutilated people, chopped their heads off, and drank their blood, and boiled their bones in a cauldron. So all good stuff. <laughs> Sounds like you found a way to take Why Die, one of the harshest, most brutal hardcore bands, and you're like, how do we take it up a notch? Right, right. Let's bring in the, these new lyrics. Well, Jack, I want to talk to you forever. The stories that I, the shows that specifically I want to go into, songs and lyrics I want to go into. But we gotta end the show. Okay. But will you do a part two with me one time? Absolutely. This has been amazing, oh, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Give it up for a Philadelphia legend, Jackal. All right, Chris. It's the end. That was. Another show that blew my mind. It's the best. I like. That's I wanted to come up here to defend Canada. What we and then that interview just like it wiped it all from my mind. I was what during no effect because of the no effects thing. Just everything. I was like, I gotta come up and defend Canada. That's only fair. And then yep. it, like after the previous interview, and then I'm like, no, I, everything that was said there is more important than anything I could say about defend Canada. Wait, do you think I do you think I uh, did a no, no, inadequate job? You, not to you. Just the I feel like we're catching. Catching a little shade in the last interview, <laughs> and I was going to point out all the Canadian bands that were mentioned in the interview. That we was. know that Dan was just hiding his lo love for Rush and No Effects behind the uh, <laughs> wall of Canadian. That's not the Canada contempt. I was talking about. I was talking about Doughboys and SNFU and Good Canada, not Bad Canada. Well, Rush is good, not my good, but someone's good. You know, uh, someone uh, likes it. He sold a couple records. <laughs> Well, any, what were some of the things that jumped out to you in the last group of conversations? I'm just... Anyway, okay, well... 
I don't even know where to begin. What, wide-eye, unbelievable. Oh, the, uh, he mentioned the state 7-inch. Sidebar. Yeah. Evolutions came up in the last interview. Yeah. Um, incredible record. If you don't know it, get it today. Who produced that again? Uh, one of the Stooges, right? Ron Ashton. Ron Ashton. And it was the Stooges. Roadie was the main dude in that band. Oh, you even know that. Yeah. They actually still are around, I think. They played a couple shows. They were back like 10 years ago. I don't yeah. know if they're still playing again. Something but. like that. But the uh, that 7-inch is incredible. If you don't know it, it's like a total rager. Uh, and I mean like rager, for real. Really good. Um, what did I have down here? Uh, Discontent is not the best Poison Idea song. Uh, Fuck it's off. fucking amazing, of course. What's the best Poison Idea song? Pure hate. 100%. There's no question. The best lyrics they've ever written. No! Well. Discontent's lyrics are incredible! They are incredible, but they're not as good. Yeah, how are you going to pick something off, not on Pick Your King? Because Discontent's like the best song. Because no. it's like... It's, I, it's amazing. I have that single. You have the single. Oh. We're all not fronting here. It's amazing. It's not the best. Okay, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree yeah, on this one because uh, it is the best song. And uh, love the Dickies mention. Uh, had, <laughs> just had Canada. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> um, I don't know what else. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what did you, how was your feelings on that? I had the best time. I had an amazing time yeah. tonight. I got to meet some people. Oh, Black, black Dust. Like, you talked about it. I'm happy. I, I fucking love it. I still don't have it. I it's really impossible to get now. It is. If anyone, we're in the city, Pop hopefully this. to get it. Someone has it, I want it, I'll buy it off you tonight. Let's do this. And if you work for the Peanut Chews Corporation, yeah. Chris, as a vegan warrior, <laughs> would love to yes. talk to you about <laughs> yes, getting totally. some Peanut Chews. Good call. Yes, I, I told him they were like five cents each, but he still wants the hookup. I don't blame you, Chris. I don't want a Peanut Chew hookup. No, they're like cheap, that. but I mean, I never find them anywhere. I like, I no, they don't have them in Canada. No, they don't, but I mean, here even, I, I find they're difficult to find. What a silly part of this. Well, we got to go to Wawa and get ourselves some peanut chews and let all of these people get home. Yes. Uh, I want to thank everyone here for coming tonight. This has been a lot of fun for me, and hopefully you've enjoyed it a little bit. But if it's fun for me, that's like kind of the most important thing with this podcast. Uh, I, we're, we uh, had an amazing time. Thank you to all the guests. Yeah, and uh, whew, I can't say any more. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you to Johnny Brenda's. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Philly. Thank you. Thank you, Cheesecakes. Thank you, Wawa. Is she better than Wawa? Because I've reversed my opinion. I used to say Wawa is better than Cheese, but now I'm like, I think she's. It depends. It depends. It depends. We're going to have this debate off stage. Everyone, let's come to the front of the stage and debate Wawa. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I want to thank Jeremy Roenick, too, because he played for the Flyers for a minute. Anyway. That's what Eric Lindros. Yeah, but who cares about him? Sorry. Well, sorry. Anyway. Well, he, well, that's that's shade. That's proper shade. That's Canadian shade. <laughs> and no one likes hockey. That's shade. <laughs> Thank you, Jackal. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Philly boy, Roy. And of course, of course, thank you to Chris O'Toole for getting us to the show and being on stage with me and, you know, keeping it together for me, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you on Footnotes. And hopefully I'll see all of you over there on Footnotes because we got a lot to talk about. 
There's a lot to talk about in this episode. Holy jeez. Wow. Wow. Speaking of wow, next week on the show, we finish the Turned Out of Punk live tour, but we finish stronger than anyone ever did on one of those bicycles. We finish with the Turned Out of Punk live from Rough Trade featuring from Brooklyn, New York, featuring y'all ready for this is of course got Chris O'Toole back. We've got Andy Capper back for a part two. Meredith Graves back for a part two. Walter Schreifels is back for a part two. Tom Sharpling is back for a part two. And my good buddy, Tony Rettman, author of New York Hardcore, Why Be Something That You're Not, you know, like working on an incredible upcoming straight edge book. You know, one of my one of my good buddies knows more about music than just about anyone is on the show for his first time. So is that isn't uh, some sort of amazing ultimate New York turned out a punk experience. I don't know what is. Well, I guess if Michael Lago was there, he was supposed to be there, but he couldn't make it. Unfortunately, he had to leave uh, the city last second. But if he had been there, that would have completed it. But trust me. You, as much as you will miss Michael always, you will not miss him for lack of amazingness on this show. There is some incredible conversations, some incredibly funny bits, some downright fucking super awkward bits, uh, and you will hear it all in its glory next week on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, anyone can do this shit. Go out there and make your own culture. Uh, you know, put it together. Figure it out. You know, do it. Start a band. Start a fanzine, in the words of the great Tony Erba. And uh, I, I thank you all for listening. I love you, and I'll see you next week.